What's happening, you fat bastards? This is Mike. And this is Jim. And you're listening to Podcast Croissant. That's right, baby! Podcast Croissant! Metallica? Nah. Guns N' Roses? Who? The Beatles? Jog on. Faith no more. The best fucking band in the world! (laughs) You do do it differently every time. The intro. Do you know what? I've got this brand new microphone. Yeah. And just looking back at the peaks on that, that might have really distorted. <laughs> I might have to turn the uh, the input volume on my microphone down a touch. I don't expect you to be yelling like that the entire time. I don't know. I've had plenty of coffee. Yeah, and you do really like this song oh, that we'll be talking about today. Do you know what? After last episode, this episode, we need to inject some passion, some praise. Definitely. It needs to be, you know... Uh, a heartwarming episode with full of fun and, and excitement. Man. Yeah, we know who's had the coffee. Yeah, well, we're starting to record slightly later than usual today. Mm, and, yeah. um Which means I've had slightly much... Uh, oh, you've had a chance co- to wake up. Coffee, coffee, than, than mm. usual. Yeah. Mm. Well, it will be nice to say some positive things, and we... we had a few people disappointed by the uh, lack of enthusiasm that we had for the album of the in the album of the year episodes but you know i i must say that listening over in in the editing part of uh doing those album of the year podcasts i actually feel like it sounded more negative than i actually felt about it i think by being critical and just maybe talking about a few flaws here and there that it actually sounded like there was a lot more dislike going on than is even there because I I do still love those albums. I felt the opposite. I don't yeah. I don't think we um, were particularly that harsh to be honest with you. I, as harsh as we mm. could have been. Um, uh, mm. Yeah, and I don't. I just, yeah, I felt like a few people jumped to defense of the album, and I I just felt like no, that you don't need to defend anything. I still really love the album. We were just being critical, and yeah. you know, just there was not, a, there was a lot of praise there yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, we you know there's a lot of critical um, criticizing. Sorry, but um, yeah, I think we heaped a lot of praise on the album, but not quite as much as we're gonna heap on this song that we're gonna talk about today. And of course, uh, the well, I think if anyone's listening to this, they've clicked the button that says play, and they've seen what the theme of the episode is. Would you like to mm-hmm. tell them, Jim? Yep, today's episode, we're talking about November Rain by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and uh, we'll be diving deep into the video, the meaning behind the video. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll be dissecting why each Rose one of... Why is uh, so strange. Uh, why Slash wears that hat. And, and his, his um, three guitar solos. Yep, and Izzy, Tizzy, Dizzy. Oh, oh what's the Roddy Bottom quote now? <laughs> How about we do some housekeeping, and uh, I don't know if what yep. you had there, but we should probably talk about Ottomans uh, and not the furniture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel rather uneducated <laughs> for not knowing what the phrase meant, um, but we were corrected by several people. Matt Thompson um, being one. Hi, Matt. Uh, Andy Couch Hi, uh, also corrected us in an email. Um, and uh, so I, did... got a, I got a text message from uh, Rick Thomas. Shout out, Rick. Hi, Rick. Well, same thing. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and there's another. We got another message over Facebook. Oh, Irene, yeah, yep. Irene, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to read that? Or do you wanna? Um, 
Do you have it in front of you? I do. Mm, I, the funny thing was that when we were talking about that, I, I think we were both aware that we didn't know what Bill meant by the Ottoman and then it was a distraction that it was a piece of furniture and then we just kind of <laughs> forgot to address and maybe look it up and go, what does he yeah. actually mean by that? And yeah. Yeah. clearly yeah. we gave away just how uninformed we are with our yeah. history. And, and which is really bad because I actually studied ancient history um, at, at college, so... Uh, I actually got an A-level in it, and I'm not sure whether you know what A-levels are. I don't know whether you do the same kind of um, qualifications in Australia. Um, mm. But, yeah, I had no idea. Um, but, yeah, Arini says, Hello, both. Listening to Album of the Year Part 1. Oh, my God, you guys. The word <laughs> Ottoman comes from the Ottoman Empire. Massive empire for almost six centuries and a very big part of basic history lessons. Yes, there is a stool type also named Ottoman, but that's definitely not what Bill is referring to. Um, yep, so thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for correcting us there. Yeah, big, She does end with big hug to both, though, so she obviously uh, uh, realises what kind of twats we actually are. Yeah, fair call. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think we're uneducated. We just didn't listen in history. That's all. Yeah, it seemed to fill up brain capacity with too many useless bits of information about our favourite bands. Yeah. I also wanted to say I'm um, housekeeping as well from last episode. Uh, we mentioned mm. Corey Glover, obviously the singer from Living oh, Colour, yeah. which we, we stumbled over. And I was like banging on about him being an actor or his son being an actor or something. Uh, and I, I, and I, I had to look into this and then I thought, of course, he is an actor. He was in Oliver Stone's Vietnam film, Platoon. Oh. And and that's one of my favourite films. And I was like, I, I knew he was an actor. I, obviously, that's not what he's known for. But, yeah, I just mm. want to clarify that, yes, I was right. And did he ever cover any Faith No More songs? No. 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 And did we ever... Did we, we, I think we just said Corey. What's it? Because it was Corey Taylor. From Slipknot, yeah, that's right? the dude from Slipknot, obviously. Yeah, I think we arrived at calling him Corey. What's his face? Because neither of us could do. land what that was. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> nice. So, shall we do some emails? Go on then. All right. It's just me bringing it up there. Could you I hear that? Do that as well? I've got my new mic, so I could do that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Uh, I've mentioned that I've got a brand new microphone, which is why my voice will sound much clearer. Oh, have you got a new microphone? I certainly have, yes. <laughs> I think we've already mentioned it. Maybe we should move on. Did you? Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we heard from Andy Sintas again. Uh, Andy, uh, we read out his email. In, well, here we go. Hey, Mike and Jim. Thanks, Lois, for reading my email out in episode eight. My son Oscar was stoked that you read out his top three FM songs. I'm currently listening to episode eight right now, and whilst I am enjoying it, and you have been very fair and honest in your analysis and clear that you don't wish to badmouth the album or the songs, I hope you are aware of the backlash you will probably receive. Uh, a little bit. I felt very defensive about Naked in front of the computer, and because I really like that song, and I expect you will get similar reactions about Last Cup of Sorrow, etc. However, I'm expecting you to be far more keen about Mouth to Mouth, as I know Jim in particular really digs that song, but I just don't like it. And we were. Um, however, my real reason for sending this email is very pedantic. Please could Jim stop referring to liner notes as linear notes? They are two different things, and whilst it is only a little thing, I know the phrase will come up again and it will do my head in again if I don't make this point. Have you noticed that you say that, or do you mean to say that? I'd not noticed I've even said that, um, but reading it there, it does kind of make sense. 
Yeah, I, I've I've noticed it before, but because usually because of Skype lags and whatever, I just don't bother. You know, I just let it keep going. But yeah, you referenced the uh, the linear notes once when you were referring to the sleeve over something. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, anyway, back to the I podcast. I apologize, Andy. See. I apologize. <laughs> I won't do it again. You've been corrected. Will. I probably will. Maybe just do it more now. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, anyway, I do back... promise no more whistling, if that helps. Well, moving on to the next uh, paragraph here. <laughs> anyway, back to the podcast to see what you say about Helpless, which I think is a great track. Oh, mm. I oh. thought he was about to mention the whistling. He's not up to that part yet as he types. <laughs> there we go. Ah. Uh, because we really need that whistling to become a thing. Nah. Thanks. Keep up the good work. I'm really looking forward to more member episodes, the Angel Dust and King for a Day episodes, and I'm hoping for a B-side one too. I'd love to hear what on earth you guys think Hippie Jam Song is all about. Cool. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Andy. I'd like to do a B-side episode. I think that's a, that'd be a cool episode. Some of my favourite Faith No More songs are B-sides. Yeah, I've, yeah it's in the spreadsheet, the B-side episode. Yeah, that'd be a good one. We'll do mm. that. Yeah. And I particularly like that song. Hippie Jam song. Yeah, I think it's cool. I like that. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's mostly just about the heat of the summertime. Yeah. Or changing his bag. Yeah, and finding a summer job or something. Yeah. Whilst Shall changing he says, his change bag. my bag. Do you know I read something recently about, about Patton changing his bag? Or maybe Bill said or something about changing a bag. Um but, or did I listen to it on a podcast? I can't remember. Mm, I'll I'll look that up. Because I don't think it was referring to this song. What, what does he mean by changing a bag? Well, I, I'm assuming... Now, I'll probably be wrong when we'll get loads of emails about this, but when you have a bag, it's when you have a colostomy bag and you've got to change it when it's full. Right. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. it makes sense, but so, that's yeah. not what that's I... That's the type of thing Patton would sing about. True. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. My bag. So the next yeah. um, email we've got... <laughs> <laughs> Is from oh why do you give me the one with the bloody Brazilian name? I can't pronounce that. <laughs> I didn't that. know how to pronounce it. <laughs> so you also pass it on to Jim. Okay, this is Vicente Moschetti. Okay, perfect from Vicente. Hi, guys. I have had a great time listening to the podcast, which I became aware of just recently. Regarding Album of the Year, I love listening to you guys dissecting the whole album. Most of the approaches are right on, but I decided to take a shot and comment about how I feel about it now that more than 20 years have passed by. Vicente goes on to comment on the the album, and he also says, I could always relate to most of the songs to a specific F&M era or ethics. She loves me not is the mellow, ironic ballad. Collision, Got That Feeling, and Naked are the heavy moments from King for a Day. Last Cup and the keyboards resembles the real thing. Strip Shirts borrows from Angel Dust's experimental approach. Even Mouth to Mouth reminds me of the Mr Bungle debut album. That to me explains why John Hudson was the choice. It was a matter of counting on someone capable of emulating their diverse guitar sounds instead of presenting a new guitar player. I think that they outdid themselves and did an honest job that kept up to the band's name. The weaknesses you so brilliantly pointed out are there, but, if I'm honest, due to F&M not being a band anymore, but a project that had to be its final chapter written with the best that they could do. Cheers from Brazil. Cool. Some, uh, yeah, I quite, quite like that. Quite some interesting points there. Thanks for sending. Yeah, I guess I get, yeah, I get what he's getting at. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Different songs give a nod to different eras, and that was yeah. that was something that we were saying, or I remember saying um, it wasn't it wasn't a definitive album the way the other albums were. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why, yeah, you can kind of align certain songs to other eras of Faith No More. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, this is a fun one. Uh, Florida man Ben Brown wrote again, uh, and his subject was mouth-to-mouth intro. He said, uh, love this episode as usual. I'm surprised you didn't discuss the differences between the vinyl and CD version of the intro to Mouth to Mouth. The reissue CD slash digital version also uses the original vinyl version. The end of the guitar intro sounds as if the tape machine loses power and the sound drags to a halt. You can hear that this is a longer version of the intro from the original CD because you can hear the beginning of this sound on the CD. I prefer the tape drag version myself. So I wrote back to him and I said, I'd have no idea what you mean um he said the intro to mouth to mouth fades like a cassette tape coming off the reel the most common version available cuts to the song before this effect you can only hear just a millisecond of the effect beginning here is a youtube video discussing it by someone called evil toast man uh they've had several insightful fnm related uploads over the year so um I know, there's I a know, youtube channel i know evil toast man you know yeah, he's he's good guy oh. yeah from wales yeah, yeah cool cool guy so I'm actually going to, uh, I hope Evil Toast Man's cool. I'm just going to rip that little bit straight from his YouTube because I don't know how else I can grab it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll drop it in here. And yeah, I I'd, I'd not heard no uh, that slightly different version. Me neither. Me neither. This is this is news to me. Hmm. Which is really cool because it was always had that sort of the CD version of the version I was familiar with with the intro to mouth to mouth was always like a a lo-fi kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but this yeah, it it doesn't sound as lo-fi, but you definitely get that sort of right, thing right, which right. everyone's just heard because I just played it. Hmm. Yeah, so that was good. I love the little things that we learn when people write in. Thanks, Florida man, Ben Brown. Thanks, cousin Ben. Uh, you got you got a, you got a little one there. I got a little one here. <laughs> hey, this is from C J Chilvers. I think we've read an email from them back in episode five. Uh, yep. Just listen to album of the year episode. The re- lyric you loved, I even tried to get arrested today, but everyone looked just looked the other way, is actually a line from the 1965 movie, The Slender Thread. Whoa, I didn't know that. Mm. Mm. It appeared on a classic movie channel in America just after the album came out, and I immediately recognised it. Plus, Patton seems to love films from this area, uh, era. If I remember correctly, the line is said to Sidney Poitier over a suicide prevention hotline. Oh, wow. I actually did not know that at all, which Isn't is very cool. Because cool. I know that Patton, specifically for this album, did lift quite a few um, of his lyrics from like kind of 60s era films. So that's really cool to know that. Thanks for that, CJ. Yeah, The Slender Thread, 1965. Yeah, and check that out. Thanks. Yeah. yeah he cool. um he did give us a, an IMDb link to that, actually, so I'm, I'm keen to check that out. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. All right. Um, oh, last one here. This is a, 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 new, a, new, a new listener, a new writer, Peter Walston. Oh, Hi, hey. Peter. Yo, he wrote Peter! So- 
his subject uh, was, hello, you fellow FNM lovers. He said, I've just discovered your excellent podcast on Spotify. It's so great to hear other people delve into the deep FNM well. A couple of weeks ago, I said to my wife, Christmas came early. I've just figured out that it was John Barry's Beat Girl that was played when FNM entered the stage at Centrum Scene in Oslo, 1995. I've been humming that tune since I bought the CD bootleg Subway Nightmares. My wife just shook her head. I know that I know the song he's referring to. It's got that real sort of country. Is it, would you say country? Like down, 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 down. No, I'm not imitating that well at all. Do you know the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I'm just going to... Yep. I'll just drop a sample there. Boom. Sample. So I've been a Faith No More fanatic since the early 90s when I heard Epic on a funk rock compilation album. Then I swiftly bought The Real Thing, and in 1992 I was fully prepared for Angel Dust and also went to my first F&M concert in Stockholm, Sweden, where I grew up. I frantically started to collect pictures in several scrapbooks and went around the record shops in search of everything F&M related. Via a friend who was a publicist at F&M's record label in Sweden, I had the pleasure of meeting Mike Patton in 1997 before they kicked off the album of the year tour at a small venue called electric garden in stockholm which would have been sick and i did try and look for footage and i think i saw them doing paths of glory there mm-hmm. uh but i'm not certain that it was it just looked like it was the one bit of footage a couple of years after the band breakup i decided to spend seven hours at the local tattoo parlor seeing closed pick to get my love of faith no more and mike Patton engraved for eternity um and he sent this epic picture of his back and it says faith no more in big letters and he's oh, basically yeah, got pa- a big mic pattern on his back is is when he had the uh, how red, huge is that he had the red jumpsuit on and it was uh, i can't remember which show it was but it was from the uh metallic was that uh, download uh no it was from the metallica oh, um, oh that era yeah yeah 1992 metallica um, oh right, Guns and Roses. Oh, I tour. thought it was a more recent. Of course, no, no, he said no. I, I, went from I, the I, I recognised the photo immediately. Yeah, I recognised it immediately. Yeah, cool. That's really cool. Sick. Oh yeah, you can tell by the boots and the um. Yeah. yeah. With it, yeah. No, but yeah. he said that he got it after their breakup, so that that wouldn't have been so recent. Uh, and then he said, luckily for me, the tattoo boom wasn't present in the eighties when I adored the Australian rockers in excess. Mm. Just wanted to let you know what a great inspiration you are. Keep up the good work. All the best. Peter Walston. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. FNM fucked. Did you know that Mike Patton was once approached to sing for NXS? We should make that another little tune. FNM fucked. FNM fucked. Yep, it's true. Mike Patton was once approached to sing for uh, NXS and he told them to go fuck themselves. Didn't it circle back to him where he asked Greg... Workman, he goes. Did they ask me? And he goes. Yeah, I didn't bother even. Or, <laughs> or Greg just said to him. So I had in excess ask if you're interested. And he's like, are they is, are they aware of what I do? He said no, nah, and they just kind of chuckled and never really took it seriously. Yeah, I think that's 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 quite possibly it. I'd have to reread the um, article where it mentions it, but yeah, actually, you know what? I quite liked in excess. I thought they were quite cool. I was. I think did did Michael Hutchins. Um, die in possibly the same week or the same <laughs> month as princess diana i think that's possible oh. and i was kind of like while the na- nation was mourning princess diana i was mourning 
the death of uh, Michael Hutchins. Because uh, I liked I liked In Excess. I liked him. I thought they wrote some cool songs. Uh, of course, Patton yeah, In Excess is a great band. Yeah, Patton, Patton would have never have, have clicked with them, but yeah, I liked In Excess. I think I first uh, found them when they did that song for the Lost Boy soundtrack with uh, um, what's that other Aussie dude called that everybody loves? Gonna have a good time tonight. Rock and roll music. Gonna oh, Jimmy Barnes. Jimmy Barnes. That's the dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that song, and that, and I kind of searched from after that, and yeah, I probably quite got into them. They're quite big here in the UK, actually. Yeah, they, they they've uh, their most. Oh, where was their most famous? Wasn't their most famous show in Wembley? <laughs> no idea. No idea. Uh, not that into them. I'm not. Not. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say I'm not super up on them. I just know that I liked them while Michael Hutchins was around, and sadly, one of those bands that. You know, that was their demise when he was gone and they tried and they made a reality TV show out of finding a new singer and it was just all just really sad. They did do some shows with Terence Trent Darby, which apparently were cool. And Terence okay. Trent Darby can sing. Hmm. Um, and I met uh, JD Fortune some years ago. The guy who won the... I have the, no idea who that is. Well, the guy who won the reality show to become their singer, oh, his okay, name was J.D. Okay, Fortune, okay, okay. very charismatic young guy, uh, ended up in a whole lot of... Uh, I think he went... I think, don't quote me, I think he went wild on the drugs and just wasn't sleeping and went manic, like went nuts. Mm, don't um, we all? Don't but, we all? Yeah, yeah, mm. I, I feel you, JD. No, I met, but I met him. I was, uh, I was working the reception at Triple M Radio, and uh, he came in on his own one day and just asked for the program director and introduced himself to me. And he was exceptionally lovely. Oh, cool! And it just left an impression all these years later. That was, uh, that was over ten years ago. Mm. Cool. Mm. Oh, we've mm. had a few comments on last episode on Facebook. Um, one from Tim Shiflett. I know I was critical of the last episode, but guys, this one was terrific. It was well-paced. You both were on point with your opinions and support for them. The chemistry and humour were better than ever, and the length was manageable. I love the side A, side B approach. On a side note, thank you for reminding me a few episodes back on how magnificent a track Chinese Arithmetic is. I always like that track, but your in-depth analysis gave me new appreciation for it. Keep up the good work. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's a nice pat on the back. Thanks, Tim. Uh, and then yeah, we get one from Lee Knott. Chinese which, Arithmetic. Yeah, we get one from Lee Knott that says, Hated the last two episodes. Album of the Year is a brilliant album. Most bands would kill for an album like this. So back. Down I wanted again. to Thanks, read that Lee. one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that. I'm still glad that people are chiming in with that sort of stuff because yeah. fair enough. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, yep. Yeah, Brill. Uh, yeah. So that's all I've got to say on that, as you would say. <laughs> yeah, I failed the socials these last couple of weeks. I forgot to uh, reach out to people on uh, what they think of Midlife Crisis. So I'm glad that it appears that most listeners are already following FNM followers. So that's good. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. I've got one from Bob Jones here. Um, Bob Jones sent a message saying, My claim to fame 
it was appearing a hell of a lot on the official recordings on the screen at the download festival when they reunited i spent five hours trying to get to the front of the crowd and made it after having to endure crap music that came before them yeah yeah i totally uh, get that mate uh like many others i discovered faith no more at epic my best mate who was at boarding school had a copy of the album and one weekend brought it back to me and gave me the tape copy. From that point, I was hooked. It never came off the Walkman. I was in a Faith No More shirt at least twice a week, badges on the leather jacket, patches on the denim. I went on the hunt very quickly after that for anything else I could find and our price had a vinyl copy of Introduce Yourself. I took it home and was very disappointed that it wasn't like the, at all like the real thing. But I gave it a few listens, and over the following months, I soon discovered that it had become my first grower album. Something initially not impressed with, but given time, it becomes one of the most valuable albums in your collection. Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger was one of those too. Anyway, just wanted to say, loving the podcast, look forward to your opinions on Chuck's other projects, as I think Cement were amazing. Only just finished episode two and need to get caught up. Whoa, he's only just finished episode two? Motherfucker, you've got loads to go! <laughs> he's not even heard me yet. He's not even heard from anything from me. He's only heard you and Adrian. Yeah, oh, dude, oh, he's dude, in dude, dude. Rude when you get shock. to this episode, you know, you're going to hear you made self mentionable. Wait till you get to I join the team. Oh, this dude is in for so much oral pleasure from my beautiful voice, especially when you get to this. And, and your I, new I microphone. Said, have I told you I've got a new microphone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's all like. Microphony and shit. <laughs> yep, it's good. Oh, the the microphone you're using is new. That's correct. Yes. Oh, yeah, and it's kind of like the same shape as a a chalk ice, and it's got a as my daughter called it a poop shield to prevent a poop shield. Oh, poop shield. It. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. Anyway, I like it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so midlife. Uh... Crisis? Sense of security. Me love crisis. See, I did the loan out and everything. Yep. I got distracted because there's a bird staring at me through the window. Seriously, there's like a massive fucking bird sat on my window still, just staring at me. It's creepy. You know the movie Baseball with... It's creeping me out. Fuck There's a scene in the movie Basketball where he gets distracted by a bird. It's funny. Yeah. Great. Yep. Oh, is that the um, film by the guys that did South Park? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I have seen that. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, Trey Parker's just staring and they say, don't worry about him. He gets easily distracted or something. And then he's just staring at a tree looking at a little bird's nest. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, good Excellent. times. Okay, midlife, uh, midlife crisis, crisis, baby. So, Let's mm, fucking mm. talk about one of the best Faith No More songs ever made. Okay, I'm going to start, right? Because okay. I want to start by saying this is one of my favourite Faith No More songs. And why, I hear you ask, was it not in my top ten when we recorded that particular episode? It's because I wanted to represent Faith No More's whole catalogue and I chose Caffeine as my number one. But I think the, these two songs, Caffeine and Midlife Crisis, have got very similar elements. Um, but yeah, it's... It, Mm. such a song it's a song i can listen to at any time in any mood and never get tired of it it still gives me chills when i hear it like like the, like the first time it's like a virgin touched for the very first time 
by Madonna, <laughs> which we will uh, right. yes. talk about. So, hi, see what I did there? You well see played, yeah, 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 yeah. So, mm. yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. What do you think of midlife crisis, Michael? Oh, uh, I haven't had coffee like you have. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, you suggested that we do this episode, and everyone, so many people. If we if we have a, a, a highest request for this podcast, it's for, for an Angel Dust one. And mm. I had said to you, I'd rather go track by track. And you said, Can we do midlife crisis? And I said, Oh, if we're going to do anything Angel Dust, I'd rather start with Land of Sunshine. But you said, No, I'd really like to do. And I said, Okay, you know what? It was the first single off yep. Angel Dust, so let's do it. And I like Midlife Crisis. I, I, I love the song. It's certainly in it's in my top preferred, you know, like it's in my top tier of preferred Faith No More songs. It's not one that I ever would have rated or thought to rate. So this episode, I was, you know, I, I even reached out to you. How do you want? How do you want me to approach this? What part do you want me to play in when we do this episode? <clears throat> and I must say that. Different to our album of the year episodes where I felt like I loved those albums but then found a lot to find wrong with them, this preparing for this episode had me realise how much I love this song and how brilliant it is and how many aspects there are to it that are incredible. It's a... It's a really, really good song, and it's and it, it, it's like you said before, like it encapsulates everything that Faith No More do, musically, definitely, patterny, um, musically, and yeah. Well, right now I'm naked and I'm rubbing the vinyl on my testicles. It's that fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. You actually think I'm joking, but do you know what? We'll post a photo of me doing it or even a video of Uh me doing it on Facebook and then people will know how serious I am about this song. (laughs) Maybe we need to go Joe Rogan style on this podcast and actually live live stream it. Oh, God, no. no. So people can watch this happen. I'm I'm actually in my pyjamas. I don't want to do that. You're in your jammies. You're in your jimmy jams. (laughs) I've got a day off today, so... (laughs) Yeah, thought I'd just sit it's around right and some. do fuck all. Um, but anyway, recording this this episode. Um, so I first heard Midlife Crisis. Um, I, I was eagerly awaiting new music. So cause I got into Faith No More like 90, 91, that kind of era. And so I never got really a chance to, 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 to experience the anticipation of new music. And I remember waiting for for this new song. I remember it was played on Radio 1, I think, and a friend of mine taped it from the radio. And he only taped it from, like, the end of the first chorus, um, and he managed to take maybe two minutes of it. I think the the recording cut off just as the the sample-filled middle section comes on. Anyway, I remember hearing it and just... Instantly loving it, instantly thinking, wow, this is just fucking, it's such a leap from the real thing, but it, it, it's just amazing. Um, anyway, a couple of weeks later, released on single, May the 26th, 1992, um, and I jumped on the bus to Leeds. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever gone to the store to buy a new release by any band. Uh, and I remember getting the uh, cassette box, um, which came apart, and it had a little Angel Dust sticker in it. Um, I bought the CD, I bought the vinyl, 
um, which is great. You know, the vinyl is the is the mm. picture disc with the Angel Dust cover, uh, and I couldn't wait to get home. Jump back on the bus and and. I think, actually, do you know what? I think I took my Walkman with me so I could listen to it on the bus on the way home. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it just blew my mind, instantly blew my mind, became an instant um, love straight away. How about you, Michael? Well, uh, Jimothy. James. I, oh, right. Oh, is that what Jim, oh, all these years I thought Jim was short for Jimothy. Well, do you know, that is so weird because one of my <laughs> friends when I was a kid used to call me Jimothy all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I am, yeah. you know, quite fond of the name Jimothy. Anyway, continue. Excellent. Oh, good. That's another That's another keeper. Uh, I learned what Jim's short for because of James B. Martin, actually. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway. This is the point where you, you should have uh, said, hang on a minute, your name is James Brown. And then possibly taking the piss out of me for a few minutes but it's all right i've heard it all before don't worry i've heard it all before i can't even i I can't even bring myself to do an edit and pretend because it just feels (laughs) phony right go on mike i also it's too late mike tell me about midlife crisis tell me about midlife crisis come on i can't do it oh back on track mike back on track mike back on track you know i I loved Faith No More after the real thing. I knew that I liked them. I hadn't gone complete fanboy yet. I wasn't at an age yet where I was obsessive. I hadn't become obsessed obsessive about any artist, but I did love, uh, I did love the real thing. And then, you know, just time went by, and then all of a sudden, Faith No More show up with Midlife Crisis, and I can't remember if I saw the video first or heard heard it on the radio first, but I knew it was Faith No More and just kind of went, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then I, But I do remember specifically being in the car with my family. I remember sitting in the back seat. I remember leaving my grandmother's house in Taramara of Sydney, driving past an oval when the sample dropped in the middle of the song. And I think my dad had said to me, do you know this is the new Faith No More song? I said, yeah, yeah, I, I think I like it. And then the, the because we just had the radio playing in the car, and the sample drops, and do, 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 do. And I commented from the back of the car going, I really like that. And my mum goes, it's clever, isn't it? And it was just this family bonding moment where, you know, That's dad's cool. pointing out that it's a band, and, and I said, I think I like that. And that was actually, that was the moment where I went, oh, I think I'm going to get this album. Right. So... Yeah, and it was it was more. It, I think it was the um, it was the sample more than anything else. The sample in the middle of that song just stood mm-hmm. out to me as this is interesting. Um, and yeah, and I was. I mean, I was just a kid, and I was like, yeah. maybe I think I was twelve. So I just, I just, you know, I just went, oh, that's that's cool. I should check out more of what they're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's it's funny because we um, asked if people remembered first hearing the song. Um, on social media, and it would seem that most people either heard it on MTV, on radio stations, but quite a few people heard it on Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas game. Mm, we've heard that a few um, times. I, 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 yeah, it's, it's on the soundtrack to there. Um, I've never really been a, a Grand Theft Auto fan, um, but it's, it does seem like a lot of people originally heard it there, which would be... 20 years after it was released, surely? Yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, but I've got a few um, comments from people. Was that the year that, that that version of Grand Theft, was that the year it was 20 years later? I think it was like 2004 or something, according to comments. Uh, I'm not not entirely sure, like I say. Not, that's only not, tw- not that's 12 years later, isn't it? Uh, yeah, okay. All right, fucking hell, man. You have to pick apart everything I say, don't you? God. Right. Uh, Sean Anderson said Mm -hmm. on Facebook, I just finished two weeks work experience at a newsagent's and was paid $40. I walked across the road to the record store and bought Angel Dust. That night we had to go out for dinner with my parents. So I grabbed my Walkman and listened to it on the drive there. It changed my life forever. Um, Alex Karate, as in... I said he heard it at a radio station, Tada Tada, one month before it was released. The first three tracks, and I was listening to them, yearning for the whole album. What an album. Uh, Jack Morrison, yes, actually, I was in the car with my mum. I'd just gotten a copy of the Platinum Collection from the local library. And having only heard the real thing before, after the first three songs, just the first three tracks from the real thing, if I recall correctly, correctly, if I recall correctly, if I recall correctly. Uh, In came Midlife Crisis. This was my first time hearing anything post-real thing, and quite frankly, I was stunned. They had thickened out their sound so much, and Patton practically sounded like a different singer. It was also pretty clear, just from that track alone, how many bands had taken from them shortly after. But regardless, it was a moment I knew I was going to be getting a lot more from this band. Um, which is quite cool, because, you know, that's, that's quite a few years later that the Platinum Collection came out. Um, yeah. And we also had a comment from Matt Wallace, who said, Yes, I do remember. I was, re- I was recording the band. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Now, it's cool. Matt, Matt does comment quite a bit on Facebook posts, which is really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Whatever. <laughs> no, that was cool. I saw, I saw that. I thought I'd, I was sitting there wondering if I'd read it, but I felt like that was, that was yours to read. And uh, good old me with the social networking didn't uh, repost any of those to Podcast Croissant. So, of course, feel free to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Croissant or Facebook for Podcast Croissant. And, and be occasionally I Mike. might... Um, yeah, occasionally I might post something. <laughs> oh, you're much better at it than than me. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's no, good, man. There's been there were heaps. Of, yeah, there were like a hundred and twenty or something comments under that post. Yeah, it's, it's a popular. I mean, let, yeah. let let's discuss how popular the song is. I mean, in, mm. in 2015, Consequence of Sound ranked every Faith No More song ever, and it came top. And this is what they said. The quintessential question of what is Faith No More's best song has, far and away, the easiest answer imaginable. By 1992, Angel Dust had done a complete 180 away from the sound generally synonymous with Chuck Mosley to what Faith No More is known for now. Triumphant Mike Pattled vocals that shine in every register, every pitch, the fluid harmonisation of Martin and Bottom's guitar-keyboard combos. Perfect drum and bass coordination, mm. blends of dark tones and obscure subject matter that leave the listener desperate for a resolution. Midlife Crisis is allegedly about Madonna's grasping for straws in a 90s career. If that may be true, the song is has metal, pop, avant-garde and a musically united front with more facets than a diamond. It's addictive and throbbing, your head on cocaine, your heaven and hell. This is faith no more, angel dust indeed. 
So yeah, that was from Consequence of South two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Um yep. and you know, I, I I agree. I think it is the definitive Faith No More song. It, it, you know, it, it's got every element like you mentioned earlier. Um and what is interesting though is I think we hear it as atmospheric, cinematic, it invokes a range of motions, dark and brooding, yet uplifting and powerful. It's percussive, melodic, twisted, yet sincere. Um, but I think, to me, I don't know about you, but it's, it's quite a dark song. Would you agree? Yeah. Yet the band yeah. have always gone on record, including Matt Wallace, saying that they heard it as a pop song. They heard it as a, you know, a, a, a jolly happy song. So it's interesting that the band mm. who recorded it and played it saw it completely differently to how um, the, the fans heard it. Well, and it, it's the other thing that I found myself as I was listening over it sort of noticing is it's not one that I remember feeling as being heavy. But there's a lot of, I mean, there's there's growling through the verses and shouting in the chorus and, you know, and, you know some big guitars at the interlude. Like, it's actually quite a heavy song. But as far as their catalogue goes and the way I think of it, I don't think of it as heavy. No. Like, no, I, I, I totally I, I totally get what you're saying um, about the sort of twists and turns and it's, it's this and it's that. And also, yeah, I don't identify it as being happy or a pop song, though. No, 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 not at all. Um, and I also think it's a kind of like, this is kind of the sound that the whole new metal genre tried to imitate. This song is poss- could possibly mm. be where that whole uh, genre originated from. And, you know, particularly Angel Dust as an album, but this song, you know, the, the, the amount of rap metal crap that we had to put up with in the late 90s, it, it pretty much, the, this is the genesis of that, if you see what I mean. I think, you know, this is the, yeah. the song that they attempted to imitate. I'm not going to say that they did it in any successful way, but I would have said that mm. Midlife well, Crisis One particular is, band, is, yeah. one band did actually uh, cover it. One yep. of those bands that fall in that category. Yep. Was it? I mean, we'll talk about it. Okay, later. we'll, we'll Disturbed. Talk. Oh, was it Disturbed? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've heard it. I don't think Oof. I've bothered with it. No. Yeah. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I know that... Corn, for example, had said that they were big fans of Mosley era, mm-hmm. Faith No More. They're the only ones that I've actually heard specify. But a lot of um, emo, um, uh, uh, new metal bands um, specifically pointed to Faith No More and more around that Angel Dust era. Yeah, there's, there's one, one right, springs kind of to this, mind in particular the... for me is, is Huberstank. Um, and oh God. yeah, bef- I call them succubus. Okay, well, I was just about to say before you uh jump on their uh their heads, oh, um, I'm, I'm quite friendly with the singer, I talked to him quite a bit, um, because um, <laughs> Matt, Matt Wallace has recorded a few stuff for Hoobstank, and yeah, he's, he's a huge fan, huge fan of, of Angel Dust in particular, um. So there you go. I wish I didn't say. (laughs) I like the reason. I think that's a great song. I think that's a that's a really well written song. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh, I have to leave that in. No, just because they always to me they just sounded. Oh, that's that's fine. I feel bad. I just I used to love Incubus and they just sounded for me like a bad Incubus back in the day. So I called them Succubus. (laughs) I thought I was funny. I'm sorry to your Hooper Stank friend. 
Hang on, what's Huberstank mean? I'm just going to segue I've, and try and get I out of this awkwardness. I have really got no idea whatsoever. But I will, oh, I will pass no, on it's your, got a, it's, uh, your, your it's, love to Doug. Doug Rob, the singer. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be interesting. Oh, if I, I, do you know what? I think he actually might listen to this podcast because he's that big a fan of Faith No More that oh, he, he probably will listen. Um, and he's a proper nice oh, guy as well. So, yeah, well done, mate. Um, I, um, yeah. You know, when we do this, I just try and think that we I just try and imagine that there's nope, once we get yeah. past the emails I try and imagine that no one actually listens and <laughs> oh. anyway so we've got some facts about <laughs> midlife crisis with that. Uh, after easy no, I'm gonna can I google Huberstank real quick as well <laughs> yeah you it's you, got a, it's like I'll a perversion you what, you, it's a I'll perversion. read through these facts and then afterwards you can tell me how great you think Huberstank are so um after okay. easy it was their highest charting song in the UK at number uh it charted at number 10 uh, became their only number one hit uh, on the modern rock charts in the US. Um, the press loved it. The press wrote some awesome reviews on it. Uh, Raw magazine said, Midlife crisis twists into a new kind of melody. The difference lies in the tunefulness, the variety of styles within the song, elements we've come to know and love from this band, but not to this extent. Um, the Observer said, Music and lyrically, Faith No More aim for an oxymoronic mix of beauty and brutality with this single. Uh, Melody Maker said, On Midlife Crisis, Patton starts with a snide, sibilant rap, swoons upward in a jazzy Algeroes arc, then slugs it out um, and in a close combat, cut and thrust, that's pure hardcore. The lyrics lash and lambast at some middle-class lard ass, play safe type who's built up a cocoon of security and comfort the line your menstruating heart doubtless aims at wet liberals and people who profess to care a lot it 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 is deeply revealing for faith no more feelings of tenderness empathy and solidarity are threatening female and fluid with a lonesome discharge that's from melody maker um yeah are we are you back All I can find is that apparently Hoobersink's just a silly made-up word, but I swear I read something somewhere once that... It's a fetish. Oh, shoe fetish. Oh, okay. So it's, sure not, that's per- not it's not really that perverted, but someone with, a, someone with a shoe fetish? Oh, God. You've proper set us up for a fall again now. Some <clears throat> toffee nose boffin is going to write an email saying, Oh, you didn't know what a Hoobersink was, oh, you bloody fools. Well, it's, I'm glad that it's important enough to me to, you know, skim over Ottoman, but, you know, have to halt everything to double check what Huberstank is and also dig myself out of this awkward hole that I've created. You know, the awkward turtle, the turtle lying on its back. Yeah. yeah that's That's me. you. Mm. All right. So before we start talking about the actual song itself, I've got a nice quote from Bill, if you allow me to read. Of course. It's from the Kerrang! in 1998. He says, Everybody's responsible for this one. It was a keyboard part that started it. It was in a period of time when everyone was waiting for us to come up with another record and promising us the world. All we had to do is what we do. But the way they saw we were a little defiant, which I reflects in the lyrics in some way. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Shall we? So we'll talk about the song. The song. Overall, what comments do you have on the song itself that you haven't already, you know, unless you feel like you've already said it? I think I've already said it. If someone asked me, 
to play them a Faith No More song, um, just to give them an idea of what Faith No More are about, I'd probably pick this one first. Yeah. And I'm not saying hmm. I'm not saying this is Faith No More sound. I'm not saying this is the, the, the definitive song as such. But I think this this song is one of those that encompasses everything Faith No More is about and has been about over the years. And it has those elements, you know, you know, patterns, vocals. It has you know Puffy's drums. It has Bill's bass tone. It has you know the, the twisted lyrics you know it's, it's got everything mm, you know mm, you, mm. that you uh, associate with faith no more in one place at one time yeah and that's sort of that's where i was going to go with that i mean we are about to break the song down entirely but what i do like is you get the contrasting vocals you've got the you know the the lower sort of growls we get a bit of singing we get a bit of shouting um we get you know the keyboard sounds that really just encapsulate Faith No More overall, um, much in the same way we get that from Jim's guitar playing. Um, we get the uh, the classic booger dagger kind of feel, mm-hmm. even though the bass is playing a pulsing sort of sound rather than a cyclical thing. We're still getting that a kind of cyclical kind of drum pattern still going. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, which is certainly a part of Faith No More's sound. But then we get a really nice straight driving. Um, chorus you know that um sort of opens up everything and the other thing that that i was thinking about today that made me want to put that question to you is that structurally you know we get we get an intro we get a a verse uh a pre-chorus a chorus um and you know and then we get a little bridge and it sort of cycles over again we get a nice great interesting interlude um that was the other point that i wanted to make you know that what we get from this song is these interesting components like the verse and patterns delivery in the verse makes it a little bit intriguing. But then we also get the sample, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, they were talking about the Beastie Boys sample in the middle, which really sort of grabs your attention that this is something that you weren't hearing in, you know, rock and metal at the time. Um, and then we actually get we, the song closes out with the chorus, which is really catchy, but it just finishes looping on the chorus and we actually get a fade out. So, for as interesting and weird as the song is and all that contrast and everything, there's still some very neat sort of standard pop yep. tricks. I've, I remember reading on comments on Facebook, someone said that uh, fading out a song, I think it was referring to mouth to mouth, actually. Um, fading out songs mm. a cop out. It, it's what, you know, when a band doesn't know how to end a song. I don't see it that way. I say that, see it as the band didn't want to end that song. You know, they didn't want it to have a, a definite ending. So the best way is to fade out. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to present that ending, if if, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, I don't yep. feel no, it as I a cop agree. at all. I, I feel it as a just a tool, a tool to end a song that doesn't want to end, that doesn't have a, a definite end. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Glad we agree. No, same. Cool. Mm, me too. Yeah. Unlike our opinions on some other bands and things, I've just got to let that go. Yeah. Shout out to Hoobastank. <laughs> Love to have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is actually going to be really fun. This is going to be awesome to listen to, I think. The, when Guitar Hero releases, every time there's a new Guitar Hero release and they pick their songs, all the stems get broken up with all the instruments and then excellent people 
dig into those uh, games. Uh, they're on DVD type game. They cut the discs, aren't they? That's the, that's what the that's mm-hmm. what the kids are playing these days. They're playing these DVD thingies, these CDs, these shiny discs. Um, that they go, they grab the the stems of the songs off there. So what happens is when a song gets put out on Guitar Hero, we end up with isolated drums, bass, guitar parts, uh, and also keyboards and vocals. So May what I ask, we've Mike, been able to how how yes. How do they go about separating these tracks? Because surely they don't get the original um, stems from Matt Wallace. You know, how how do they... I'm assuming they use some kind of computer technology to separate the tracks up. Is that No, right? they would have to go back to the, the source, uh, oh, the source tracks. So, so, yeah, there's no way you oh, can okay. extract it from well, a, a, right, a stereo file. Um, I right. imagine what probably happens is... Guitar Hero, the company, probably think of the songs that they would like to feature on the games. Uh, Mm. They reach out to the publishers and say, and they go into negotiations about the costs first and whether it's feasible and possible and whether the the tracks are accessible. Um, And then there would be someone would actually have to go back to, in most cases, I imagine they would have to go back to the master reels and actually export you know drum drum tracks usually you know there might be eight to ten microphones on a drum kit let's just say this this is a this is a question i shall put to matt wallace then because i'm assuming matt will be the one with the um you know with the access to these tracks yeah so both epic and midlife crisis yeah 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 i'll ask matt about that and then we'll we can return to this on the next episode yeah i'd be curious how a bit like that, whether yeah. whether i'm right but i mean you'd have to assume you can't you can't take a, a a final finished product of a song and then use computer engineering to extract certain things out well, of I thought it. it must be There's... extremely difficult to do that but i thought is it possible in this day and age to to you know to be able <clears> to um isolate things easier Apparently, there's technology starting to happen where they're beginning to create software and algorithms that are beginning to do that. But there's still anomalies, and it's still not okay. still not okay. that great. But um, yeah, no, there, there would be there would basically be um, someone going back to the source files and then just putting all the drum tracks down to a single stereo track, all the guitars down to you know a yeah, stereo yeah, guitar yeah. track, and 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 so on. Um, so what's been really fun is that we've been able to listen through uh, to all of these and hear what's going on uh, a little bit more isolated within the song and some things are already really apparent within having heard the song but then there's also things that I certainly heard within these isolated stems and went, I'd never noticed that before, which was yeah, really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could probably assume that most people, especially if they like Faith No More and they like this song, we can assume most people like the vocal. Um, And I think the vocal is what sits on top of the mix the most, so people are familiar with Patton's part. So the way I wanted to approach this was start by talking about the music first and really sort of break down what's happening in the music and then we can talk a bit about Patton's vocals sort of sitting over the top of that. So we'll start. We'll start with the drums. Uh, we hear that we know that we, we're familiar with the intro. We're familiar with the boom da ba boom boom ba boom boom ba ba do ba dum ba boom. How does it go? 
That's 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 good. That's that's more how it goes. Uh, so we're, we're, even though we're familiar with the intro on the drum beat as how it is, I think you sort of forget that that beat actually continues throughout the entire verse and pre-chorus. Um, it's a pretty sort of it's pretty heavily featured throughout the song, um, and it was. It's one of those. I think it's one of those iconic beats. Like we, yeah, yeah, you know, you you can you can't. It's it's unmistakable. That coupled with with the sample, obviously, but but mm. you know, it's 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 such an unmistakable drum beat. Well, yeah, when you say that, the the, the sample falls away after the intro, um, but it is. It's certainly one of it's one of the few Faith No More songs that starts with a with a drum beat, um, and mm. it is. It's the identifiable as soon as it starts. Everyone knows what song it is, and yeah, certainly, um, yes, it it makes the crowd excited when they hear it so yeah we've got this like really um we've got this really identifiable beat so i'm just going to just play a quick portion of the verses and things and just hearing that this um this beat just carries through throughout those parts of the song and then while we the thing about that groove is it's kind of i'd say it's like it's it's a groove it's hypnotic um you you do get a bit lost in it and everything else and we you know we'll we'll get to talking about the bass in a moment too but because it's got this hypnotic sort of thing the the fills coming out of it are actually pretty straightforward and simple and then when it goes into the chorus we're really just getting pretty much a straight 4/4 beat and it, it's what opens it up so I'll, I'll play a bit of that as well other thing the other thing that i'd never noticed that the drums do is the uh the interlude section so we've come from the uh the, the sample and it comes comes crashing in and Patton starts singing it's a midlife crisis um i'd never noticed it in the final version but there are these little ghost notes that uh puffy's playing uh and a ghost note uh it's happening on the snare the snare drum so when he hits the snare he then sort of lets the stick just gently bounce and you just get these little hidden sort of uh notes it's uh, do you know much about drumming that yeah he's 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 famous for that though isn't he? He, he something you hear on every album that kind of like um double crack of the snare, but I, only, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. But I'd never heard them in this song either. Yeah, I did. I'd never noticed that. Well, uh, uh, is he is he well known for the ghost notes? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, I have to admit that it, you know, for knowing their music as much as I do, I don't know that I pay attention to Puffy's drums enough, or at least the nuances of it. But um, yeah, I'll I'll drop in a little sample here, and what you'll hear is um, I think it's the the it cycles around sort of every couple of bars he'll hit the snare drum you get this big crack and then you just get this gentle little you know little bounce of the stick that follows which um yeah you hear it it's it's sort of a common i'd say it's a common sort of jazz thing more than anywhere else but it's Mm -hmm. um it's certainly common across rock as well so here it is I think you would also from this 
get a hint of Puffy's African percussive training as well. Oh yeah, certainly. It's got, well, it's got those, 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 like you've mentioned, those, those um, hypnotizing rhythms. Mm. Yeah, that Repetitive. cyclical sort of approach. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. geez, I'd have to listen back to it because you do hear the um, yeah, he's got the foot tapping on the hi hat the entire time. So he's got these two hands free to cycle around the toms and the snare. Yeah, yeah and, I, and when he's playing, when he's playing live, you really get a sense of that. He's constantly moving around the kit. Yep circling around the kit and the racks you know those those perfectly horizontal racks are shaking like fuck you know what i mean yeah, it, you yeah. can see the power he puts into this this drum beat yeah definitely and that's where we can talk about the bass where the bass sort of joins in uh well actually the well, bass can, I, can i just say that yeah i think hearing these drums on their own points you know it it, it, it highlights how well mixed the al- that this album this song is by Matt Wallace i think you know you can hear you know True. you can hear yeah, a absolutely. range of the dynamics from the from the um treble to the bass just in the drum beat um and i think mm-hmm, matt mm-hmm. you know did an astounding job of of mixing this song but i think it's it's really highlighted by just listening to the the, 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 the drums sorry i had a bit of a wind there <laughs> uh, but also i think if you think about where the the song is placed on the album, you've got the end of caffeine, which ends with like an echoing sustain on the keys and like a kind of fading thunder crackle, for want of a better phrase, of the guitar. Sure. And then you come in with this drum beat. Yeah. And it hits you immediately. You know, it, it, it's not. I wouldn't. It's kind of a subtle um, swell into the drums. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's like boom. It's it's more of a, but it's such a, a, a contrast to the end of caffeine that it, 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 you know sure. it, it, yeah. when this song comes, you know this song's coming. Whether you know the album back to front or not, the anticipation for this song is is just brilliant. When you're listening to the album all the way through, you know, I just I think it's perfectly mm. placed mm. on the album. That's that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah, yeah I agree. Cool. Yeah. So sorry, sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Go on. No, I'm, no, it's okay. I, I, you actually made me realize that in saying that, you know, that the, the drums are the intro and then the drums are playing throughout the verse, and you sort of get so lost in it, you you forget. Um, if you listen to the isolated stems of these drums, when the vocals are going or when that drum beat's continuing, the ambience and the sound and the tone sitting around the drums in the intro have that character and that mm-hmm. sound. But I was really surprised to hear that that ambience and that space and the way you were just describing it as well, that ambience and space is still there throughout all of the verse. It's yes. not like it's yes. just there. It's not like there's just lots of echo and reverb. That echo and reverb is there also throughout the verses and yes. pre-chorus yeah, yeah, as well, yeah. well throughout the entire song. Um, and that was the interesting thing. So, Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Obviously, the uh, when we start to talk about the bass, I just really like the way. Um, well, actually, that that was the other thing about the bass. Um, Bill Gould basically wanted to play one note. He plays an E <laughs> yeah. throughout the entire yeah. song, through every yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, he did mention that once in an interview on um, MTV Postmodern. Um, they were interviewed by Pip Dan whilst whilst in Helsinki. 
Uh, I think you can find that on on YouTube. And you know they mentioned that he plays one song, and it was kind of like a a, um, a lesson in discipline for Bill. Um, but Bill also refers to it in Adrian's book. He said, uh, I remember yeah. telling Matt when we played the song in rehearsal, I'm just going to play one note in the entire song. Matt came over and I remember him just shaking his head laughing. Why are you doing this? I was just laughing like fucking you <laughs> up. I did it to piss you off. And that's and going to do a song that plays only one note. <laughs> so it's, 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 always, it's always funny to, you know, like, how these guys play off against each other you know the fact that he did it mm. not only for the for the strength of the song but just to piss matt wallace off as well that's brilliant <laughs> yeah yeah and it's amazing to me because it, i'd i'd never noticed until really recently and actually it was it was in reading um small victories okay. i'd never noticed that it just sits on the e i mean i knew it was a fairly simple straightforward baseline mm. but you know, there's so much movement happening in that song, especially around the keyboards and guitars, which we'll get to. But you just, because of the way it all works, you don't realise that it's it actually the bass is not moving. I think I think I remember mm. it's one of these quotes that I remember seeing on that postmodern show. Sorry, hearing on that postmodern show, and it just sticking in my brain for all these years. You know, so if someone asked me, yeah, what right, do you think sure. to midlife the bass in midlife crisis? I say, oh, well, you know that. Um, uh, Bill just plays one note all the way through it. Of course, he doesn't, but it's kind of generalising. You know, he just play one note for a, through a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's something in songwriting that normally for a song to remain interesting and engaging, you need some movement. You need to change key, or you need to uh, you need to at least have different parts resolve around a different tonic, uh, so to speak. And then you've got all the song revolves just around this e and so it's it's the dynamics and the contrast that are occurring within each section and i think and what i'm going to about to get to right now with bill's bass parts are these simple little fills that he's throwing in there which just you know he's hanging on that e for so long throughout the song and every time there's a new section coming he just throws in one little simple uh fill and that helps us sort of hear that we're about to move into a new section and then he just goes right back down to playing that e again um so we'll, i'll first i'll first play a little sample of just the bass and the drums in the verse and just how nicely locked in that they are and then also just cutting to um just the chorus bass and drums as well great thing about bill's bass in this song is it's got that signature sound even yes. if he is just playing one note it's got that uh, thumping um twang of the string sound to it still i was gonna say um, gritty yeah 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 it's just, it's, yeah it's it, it, you know when you describe this song as a whole you know the drums and the bass together are the heavy part if you wanted to call them heavy they are mm. the 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 brutal part of the song mm. You know, that's what gives it that kind of like a, a thumping, aggressive feel. Yeah. You still there? That fucking bird's back again. <laughs> fucking, I've just turned my head to look out the window and it's fucking sat there looking at me. It disappeared for a bit and it's fucking back. I just thought we had a sky and I was like, oh, fuck. 
And he'd just thought we'd had a dropout. No, you're just fixated on a bird. Stupid fucking bird, man. You, um, we got you? Right, okay, I'm back. Sorted. In music is when you hear chromatic notes together, and chromatic notes means um, notes that sit next to each other. So on a piano, you'd be talking mm. about moving across the white and black keys all at once. Mm-hmm. And what Bill does in his little fill, so we're coming out of the verse, um, uh, something, 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 rent an opinion. That's all I can think of right now. So Patton sings rent an opinion, and the bass line just does this really simple from we've got the low E. This I'm playing an acoustic guitar just because you'll hear it better. But you've got that low E, and then the bass fill just moves across from a C sharp, D, E flat, and then it goes back again. So you get this um, really simple but really effective, and it sounds awesome. And I'll drop it in here. Um, and it's funny because I'd always noticed that there was a little fill there, but I wanted to understand what it was that he was playing there, and now I can't stop hearing it in all the live versions that I've been listening to as well. Cool. It's very cool. Then when we arrive at the chorus, rather than him just either doing a fill leading in, he actually does this just a really wicked slide. So he actually comes from the higher E further up the neck and just goes... So the very first note of the chorus is actually Bill hitting one of his wicked slides and Bill's known for always doing really great bass slides. So it's just a... Uh, and I'll drop that in here. And then the other time, the one at the... So then he's playing the E throughout the entire chorus as well because just Bill pissing off Matt Wallace. Um, and then he's got that um, really cool... Um, it ain't bleeding enough for... And it does a... Um, um, which we'll discuss coming up in a moment about guitars too. But the, uh, the bass um, plays this really cool riff that just... I think it just pulls away for a moment because we got because we got this constant pulse on the E, um, and it's hypnotic and it you know and then it's driving kind of a bit harder through the chorus. Just coming away from that for a moment and just doing that cool little ditty. I think that really um, just sort of breaks up the feel of the song so that when he comes back into the next section, um, there's some contrast. Yep. So that happens here. Uh, something I'd never noticed. He doesn't play during the entire interlude on the record. So obviously doesn't play during the, the sample part. But then when it drops into the heavy It's a Midlife Crisis bit, there's no bass guitar there. I'd not noticed that before Before we discussed it. Before. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Bill, Bill, Bill doesn't come back until we arrive at the final choruses, but he does give us a little bit. Crisis. You're perfect. So he does give us a little bit of build up. He does he does come in just a little bit to help it build. Um, but yeah, interesting that he's not there throughout that section. 
listen to this. Yeah, and then for that last chorus, he doesn't do the slide, that slide in that I was talking about before. He just comes in yeah. on that nice low E. Um, yeah, brings it brings it home. Bring it home, Bill. Baby. Yeah. Um, now, we know that Jim wasn't there for much of the recording and writing process of Angel Dust. Or he, was, you know, he wasn't around much during that period. Um, mm-hmm. And we can assume the song was probably written the old-fashioned way. Um, do we have quotes on exactly how it was written? I, I mean, when I say the old-fashioned way, it was written drums, bass, and um, keyboards, the, the way that yeah. Faith No More yeah. used to write their songs. And when you dissect what's happening in the song, the drums, uh, you know, not counting the vocals for a moment, um, the drums, bass, and keyboards all have unique parts, and the guitars don't really ever do anything very unique. They always are basically, most of the time, the guitars are following the keyboard parts uh, note-wise. Otherwise, there's a little bit where it does a, a little bit of the bass line. Otherwise, um, yeah, the guitars are sort of following. So I, move, I wanted to move to the keyboards next because... Um, once we sort of break down what the keyboards are doing, then the the guitars are sort of filling that space. Um, there, there, okay, were well, there I any? Just, I just will. Yep. S- well, I will say that um, in a Q and A Q&A that that Jim took part in in two thousand twelve, which uh, I arranged quite quite funnily enough. Um, he does say that um, when asked what parts Bill contributed to, to Angel Dust, he does say that Bill added some quote-unquote fluff um, to Midlife Crisis. And Bill countered that by saying, if you call fluff the entire Ebo part um, on the song, then yes, that's that. That's So Bill pretty much wrote that entire kind of swelling guitar on the, on the, on the verses. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, it is because when we get to the guitar part, that, that was that was part of my comment. And interesting, you said it's an ebo. Wow. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I didn't know what an ebo was until um, I think you mentioned it uh, in the last episode about uh, strip, strip search. search. Yeah, yeah. 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 I All had right. To Google an ebo. Anyway, let's Good one. go on to yeah. keys. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously. Uh, Roddy's Roddy's into his samples. Roddy's getting up with the technology. Got himself a new uh, Spidoinkle keyboard. <laughs> I don't know where that voice is coming from. <laughs> I like it. Continue. Yeah, but, he's, but he's got his he's got his samples and he's he's heard some uh, Simon and Garfunkel and he thought that Cecilia beat at the start sounds pretty good. Might uh might do something with. Yeah. Uh, so <sighs> do I Roddy sound like Roddy right now? No, you don't sound anything like Roddy. Is that what you're trying to be? You sounded like no. um, what's that Aussie pedo called? Oh, it's not a pedo, oh, is God. it? Uh, oh, what's he called now? Uh, 
Fucking. Oh, Are you going to say Rolf Harris? Because I think he did. That's get, the guy. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Is he a pedo? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he got charged or not, but he was certainly, oh, certainly right. well, allegations. Okay, let, anyway, what well, did Roddy just say? In, just in case we, uh, Fucking hell. Uh, Rolf Harris listens to this, um, I just want to retract <laughs> that comment. Shout say, out, Rolf. Rolf Love Harris, to have you on the you know, show. A big part of my youth, Rolf. I used to watch you draw kangaroos and shit on TV. Brilliant. Anyway, Roddy did this. Yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. In fact, you know, maybe Mike Patton, you know, was a bit influenced by, by Rolf Harris. He I'm surprised that. he hasn't broke out a wobble board yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Anyway, mm. um, so Roddy did say about the sample from Cecilia and uh, Cecilia. Cecilia, the song by Simon and Garfunkel, 1969 song. Uh, it was one of the first songs I heard when I was a kid, and I think I sampled it because I had a funny relationship with it. The song was kind of built around the rhythm of that sample. Sick. So is that Sick. right? So even the drum beat that um, Puffy's playing is inspired by playing over the top of that sample? Uh, would apparently seem so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It fits so yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, um, yeah. it's, it, again... Listening to the listening to these parts and hearing that isolated sample, now I can really hear it um, in the live mix. I just I'd never really I, I could always hear like the, the the sound of it, but now I sort of feel like I get it. So I'm actually going to drop in a little sample of Cecilia. <laughs> It's interesting that the way Roddy sampled it and he took the grab of it, it's um, certainly sped up a little bit. Uh, but it's interesting that when it's isolated, it's not absolutely perfect uh, in time because he's obviously just striking the key when he wants to hit, when he wants the sample to start again. Uh, but in time to the drums, it um, you know, it all fits in really well. So I'll, I'll play that isolated for a moment and bring the drums in. Cool. So we're going to talk about the just the movement of the chords. So the verse is uh, E, G, B minor, A. Um, it stays on the B minor at the end of each section. So at the end of the verse, um, uh, when Patton says rent an opinion and I'm 30, uh, no, I'm 30 something, is that the other one? But um, it, it hangs on that, that B minor note and that, that'll come into play as we talk about some of these notes coming up later. Um, what I really love about, Roddy's choice of sounds and the way he set them up is the delayed attack on the keyboard. So you hear them, you hear the change of chord, but there's this sort of swell as the chord opens up and then you hear more of the note sort of around the third beat. So the the, the note doesn't just strike really, uh, it's not a hard attack. It's a delayed attack. It's a swell. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Anyway, I'll, I'll uh, yep, yep. you've heard it. I'll bring it in here. Uh, 
And when we get to the chorus, don't bore us, get to the chorus, the progression moves between E, D and A. And do you know where we've heard an E, D and A before? Hmm, let me think. Let's say we care a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well picked. So, can you hear that okay? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll just I'll just play that play that real quick. Now something happens there, uh, and you do hear it. Um, what's actually moving is we're going from this guitar could be better. Hang E major, D major, uh, A major. Then it goes oh, E minor. So have a listen. I'm going to um, I'm going to bring the guitar in with the keyboard because this is where the guitars and the keyboards are really complementing each other. And you will hear the first time around we're going to hear an E major, and the second time around you'll hear the E minor. Did you like that, Jim? Excellent. Mm. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to talking about that part uh, in a little bit. Um, at the bridge. Oh, that's right. So after the first chorus, uh, we, I'm going to call it the bridge section. Um, uh, Patton singing, it's a myth of Christ. Um, the guitars have joined in. The guitars have started to play along as well. So got the... Um, I wanted to play a quick little sample of the guitars joining the keyboards at the uh, the second verse. And the next part that I was going to highlight with the keyboards is the uh, the car thief sample uh, from Beastie Boys. Yeah, from the nineteen eighty nine track. And which I only learned this reading a small uh, small victories Adrian's book um, that was actually sampled from Trouble Funk's Drop the Bomb. Is that um, right? And I had a quick listen to that song, and I can't quite um, recognise where the samples come from, but I think it's been chopped up a bit by the Beastie Boys. And also in in uh, Adrian's book, it does say that um, the band had to pay five thousand dollars. Um, for the rights to mm-hmm, use mm-hmm. it to the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys agreed for them to use it, yeah, right. but they had to pay $5,000 well, for it? that. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. It did, yeah. I don't think anybody... Oh, actually, I was just about to say I don't think anybody remembers Carfeath by the Beastie Boys, but then again, they probably do. It's probably a massive track and, you know, I'm not... I'm not I don't. I don't. Well, I was listening over that track the other day just to hear the original sample. I mean, it's plain as day. It's really easy to hear. Um, again, it's a little bit slower. It's a bit more sped up for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been sped up for midlife crisis. Um, but the comments that are on there, I expected mm-hmm. a lot of comments, you know, to talk about Faith No More because um, I didn't think that it was a well-known Beastie Boys track, but. Uh, the comments were all just people saying underrated track, love this song. Um, oh, there you, you know, go. So the Beastie there, there Boys, yeah. I mean, I love Beastie Boys, but you know, I'm I'm only familiar with 
maybe the the obvious songs, Sabotage. Yeah, like uh, things you know. Yeah, yeah. I think I was I was sort of there for I think License to Ill and then um, Hello Nasty. That was sort of the, mm-hmm. the yeah, two yeah, and yeah, yeah. I totally. think yeah. So I think Car Thief was before all that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd miss the boat on that one. But yeah, um, so here's a quick sample of Car Thief. And then what's really cool is um, we actually hear the Cecilia sample played with that through this section. Um, uh, Puffy's playing a very simple beat just on the kick. Uh, and then we get the Yeahs. And the Yeah was, um, is it right that that was the band? They, all the band just gathered around and sang Yeah, did they? Um, I, I think it was um, a similar thing to the Yeah on um, Crack Hitler. In the in the heavy chorus, which um, I've heard, oh, Matt the hay, Wall- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I've heard Matt Wallace talk about it. Said that they were the years were samples that were um, just loaded into you know stock samples that were just loaded into Roddy's keys, and then the band sang over the top of it. So, so obviously, it gave their sound to that that noise, if if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that's that's pretty clear. I'll uh, I'll drop that in quickly here. Uh, so then, when we get to the interlude, this was another real gem. I've always noticed that the keyboards are doing something cool, but on their own, it actually it's it's really apparent. They've got that real cinematic feel, much like when we talked about. Um, actually, it was Adrian and I talked about Epic when we did the Real Thing episode. Um, but that section during the how cinematic the keyboards are during the guitar solo of Epic, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of an understated sort of element to the song. And I feel like it's similar here. It's a little bit more pronounced here because it isn't a solo as such. But there's some really cool things happening on the keyboards. It still seems to be moving around uh, E, G, but we're playing a B minor. Uh, sorry, B major here. So E, E. Uh... Uh, that cycles over a couple of times there, but um, just have a listen to what's going on with the keyboards because there's a little, little, little extra melody going on in there. that melody uh something i really remember from listening to this this song in my youth you know that melody always stuck in my brain it was always something that i look forward to hearing oh so you were you were tuned into that because like i said i I didn't feel like i was yeah i always knew it was there it always 
I think it's in the full song. When you hear those stems pulled apart, you 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 know you can tell it's it's not that different a, a sound on the keys to what he's using throughout the song. But I always yeah. kind of it always felt a bit more like a medieval sound, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, um, yeah, it's like a bit kind eerie. of like what, what what's that that instrument called? Is it a lute or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah a it, lute. Always, it was yeah. always put me in mind of something like that when I when I was younger. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I I always noticed that bit definitely. Well, there you go. But but it's so much more easy to hear and to appreciate in the stems. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that was the thing. It's like, yeah, we, I've said it twice already. Mm-hmm. You hear it; it's there. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, if we cover off some guitar stuff, this is the interesting thing of what you just said. Bill added some fluff to the song because when we talk about the guitars, all the guitars do for the entirety of the song is pretty much follow chords that the uh keyboards are playing um and then there's a bit where the guitar follows the little bass riff coming out of the chorus um but the one part that i was going to say where the guitar sort of does its own thing is the um the eerie bit when the guitar because there are no guitars there are no guitars at the intro of the song there are no guitars in the first verse we get to the pre-chorus where it says sense of security and the guitar comes in on can I just? Is, can do, you, do you know? Can right, you just hear that one little note? Right at the beginning of the song, does, yeah. you, you do hear a tiny bit of guitar, just a meep like that. Do you know which bit I'm talking? Oh, about? you, you, you know what? I'm glad you said that because I, I would have possibly forgotten to even bring this up. And it always struck me as really funny because it's. I, I assume it's a mistake, and then they just left it in. No, I I think it's. Uh, I always thought it was a little horn at the start of the song. Because you go boom, ba ba 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 boom, boom, and they go. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was just just a horn, like it sounded like a horn's tuning. Okay. Right. I I always thought it was just a mistake by Jim just touching his guitar strings or whatever, and they kept it in. But you don't hear it on the stems. Yeah. No, it's um, it's not in it's not in the stem. So wherever yeah. that was living in the tracks when it was exported, they just didn't bother. Yeah, because yeah, you'd yeah. expect it to probably be sitting in the um the keyboard sample track, um, but it's not. It's not there. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, at the start of the song, whoever thought to just put that little anomaly in there, it just helps break up that intro because the intro is quite long. Um, yeah, but it just yeah it just adds a little. You know, just a nice little flavour to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What does that sound I, like? It when does you, to me. It you... sounds like a like the mic's on and Jim just hits his strings back and, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. pulls a string. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, yeah. And like I, I, I thought it was a like a, trump, like a trumpet, like the sound of a trumpet sort of tuning or just making a little squeak, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. almost like it could have been a sample Maybe as I'll, well I'll, that came from somewhere. I'll ask Matt that as well. Ask uh, yeah, ask your mate Matt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ask me, mate, Matt. <laughs> All right, Matt, what's that noise at the beginning of midlife crisis like? <laughs> By the way, my mate Mike thinks that Uber sank a shite. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> so when the uh, when the guitar does come in, it's at the um, at the pre-chorus. There are some really nice um, there are some really nice notes that are coming in there. So that the guitar play uh, when you've got the E and you got the B ring out. And this you just said before, it's an Ebo. Um, Bill played an Ebo. No, I think Jim played an Ebo. 
but Bill wrote the the part. Oh, right. I don't think okay. I, I don't I don't think Bill recorded it. It was Jim that recorded it. Got it. Got it. In got fact, it. do you know what? Yeah. I think I have asked Bill in the past if he re- actually recorded any of the guitar for Angel Dust, and he said no. That's all Jim. It's all Jim okay. on the. Uh, he, you know, but obviously Bill wrote the parts in Jim's absence during rehearsals. Mm. Because mm-hmm. I I specifically when I hear this, I thought it sounded like the guitars turned up and he's getting feedback from the guitar amp and by fretting notes and actually playing notes he's getting the response of the feedback to play the pitch of what he's after so if jim's playing a b note and it's feeding back then that's what he gets but an ebo um even though we've talked about it we've never talked about what it is it's a little plastic thing that has a battery in it which um powers a magnet the magnet um creates a field between the magnet of the ebo and the magnet of the guitar pickups and there's a sympathetic vibration with the strings of the guitar and it just means that the strings will vibrate for as long as there's power in the battery which mm-hmm. is it lasts a very long time um they're a fun little thing to play with i've got one they're great cool um but yeah i assumed that um jim was playing with guitar feedback but no so he sits on the b sense of security like pockets jingle is that it oh, i'm forgetting if i forget lyrics forgive me uh then it goes to uh and he stays on the b there that's just an octave mid laugh grass and then when it goes down to the a he actually goes up a note uh i'm a perfectionist and perfect is a skinned and then he goes up to this it stays on the b he goes up to an E flat and then creates this tension and then does this little and sort of bends it up and just creates a little bit of tension and then it lands on the E and I just it's a nice little flavouring I think there I'll drop that in so you can hear what's actually happening that a bit boring to listen to because i can cut no that not out. at all no no I, you know yeah. what uh, uh, jim doesn't play a great deal on this song yet without his guitar and the way that jim specifically plays it it wouldn't be the same this bit in particular is just so cool it's just it it, it, it takes the song to a different stratosphere this little mm. bit over the verse it's it's amazing and to be honest with you i have to be honest i don't think any of the succeeding guitarists in faith no more have ever been able to play it as well as jim i i completely agree mm-hmm. yep it's um i think too that because you've got no guitar at all through the intro or the first verse and then this little bit of guitar sort of hanging in the background, lots of reverb, you know, there's lots of sort of space around it and it's not, the guitar's certainly not in your face yet Um, and it's hanging in there sort of eerie and then, you know, it hangs on that sort of dissonant note and starts to bend up toward the E and then it comes crashing in on the, you're perfect, yes, it's true. He's setting up the space for it to to have that sort of power on the chorus. Yeah. For it to come crashing in. Uh, what did I say? What did I say next? Yeah. So then, um, the guitars 
again, we, we played it before, but the guitars move between the E, uh, D and A. Uh, and at the end of the chorus, the guitar follows the bass riff, so we get that really cool. Uh, and I'll bring that in here. Now, the other thing is that I'd never noticed before, but when uh, at the end of the chorus, when Patton goes, it's bleeding enough, and you get the, um, and that's where the bass and the guitar are both doing that riff of the. You've also got um, this extra guitar track drops in that just thickens everything out with this, um, like, real sort of chuggy sound, just like. You know, it's got a weird rhythm to it. Um, it's the only bit on, on on this song and a lot of the album that's 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 Jim's signature sound too. It's funny. Well, that that chuggy bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, a, his signature sound that he's he's used on previous, you know, the previous three albums mm-hmm. doesn't feature that much on this 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 on Angel Dust. Obviously, it does in Jizz Lobber, maybe a little bit in Everything's Ruined and, and Smaller and Smaller, but here you can really hear it, especially with the stems. You can really hear that signature sound of Jim's guitar. Oh, you're doing more like the the, 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 the sound is in the playing, like the chugginess? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because um, there's something about the way it sounds. It's where actually, Yeah, but it... <laughs> I, I feel like it sounds like a bass guitar, a bass oh, right. guitar with lots of distortion. Cool. Um, so the guitar, the, the bass guitar just has to play higher up the neck to match the notes of the electric guitar. But just the, that extra bit there, and I'll, um, I'll, I'll isolate it out now just so that it can be heard what I'm talking about. So over the top of that last little part, you've just got this sort of chugging and it's got a, a bit of an interesting rhythm to it. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's a little bit sort of offbeat. It like there's, it's not straight. It's does a little bit of an interesting thing. Anyway, I'll bring it in here. And it's like, I feel like it's another part that I always knew was there, but I'd never really noticed because then if I play it and drop it back in in context with everything. You can hear how necessary it is for it to be there because if it wasn't there, that section would lose momentum a little bit because both, you know, again, because both the guitar and the bass move to playing that little riff, you sort of need something to fill out that space underneath Patton's vocal. And I, I would say that they very intentionally would have been listening and just gone, we need mm-hmm. to put something in there because it, it's something's fallen away. Um, yeah, so I just think it's a nice little touch, whether it was uh, an idea of Matt's or okay. possibly Bill's, just someone would have said, we need to put something in there. Hmm. Um, and then at the uh, interlude, it's a midlife crisis bit. We got the uh, it's a midlife crisis. He actually, um, it's a mid. We get these triplets where it does like a. You know what I'm saying? 
Yes. So they're not yep. like a gallop. They're not going dink, dig a dun. They're going da da da. So it's like a one and a two and a three and a. Um, very, like, a, obviously just a very um, clear decision just to do something a little bit because it. It is. A, it, it's not. It's not that it's out of time, but it's it. It's nuanced. Or it stands out. It's a, it's a little bit different. It's not what you would expect it to do, but it just creates a bit of a. Triplets always create a bit of a feeling of almost lag or a bit of. St- uh, sta- I don't want to say stagnant. Um, triplets just kind of they they kind of pull away the momentum for a second and then it all falls into place again. It creates tension. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just say it creates tension. But have a listen to the the guitars. There. Like that, just that little palm muty thing. I just like that little triplety thing that he does. This is where we'll talk about the vocals. Excellent. Well, what can you say, man? I mean, yeah, these are some of Patton's man, best. Man, you got to remember too. Like Do you he agree? was, he was young, and he just come out of doing the I first, mean, the first album being the real thing yeah, with, was, with was them. Twenty two, almost twenty three, and his vocals, and we'll get onto that next. I think the lyrics, they're just out of this world, man. You know what I mean? The crea- just the creativity behind it, yeah, man. It's just yeah. it's really, really impressive. Um, and the reason I wanted to go through all of that first was that, for one, it's good to understand the sort of framework and foundation of the music so that when we talk about the vocal, we've already sort of covered off some of that. But to appreciate the foundation that was already there, like it's already a really fascinating and interesting song with, you know, with all these nice little touches to it. So he already had the foundation for, you know, what was a really good song. But I think, you know, we can acknowledge Patton that he turned a good song great with mm-hmm. what he did with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, these vocals and lyrics, they go back to what I was saying about it being such a um, a definitive Faith No More song for this era. Because when you, when you listen to it, you can totally imagine Mike Patton with the baseball cap on, the boots, those strands of hair he used to pull down at the side, his little goatee beard, and, and the way that he used to crawl around the stage. You know, um, it's just such a perfect um, sonic accompaniment for that metamorphosis of pattern from, you know, real thing era to angel dust era. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's such a... You can visualise him in being that greasy petrol pump attendant that he turned into for for this year. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you, you can know, yeah, and you really get that sense that he was exploring what can I do yeah. with, you know, across the whole album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's yeah, you know, we're going to get on to we talk about how he he presents the vocals and through the verse He's got impeccable timing. He makes each syllable count for each word that he... And it's almost like a a whispering growl that he's presenting us with. Um, And you asked me to put the question to Bill 
on 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 where that that idea for for Patton singing that way came from. Um, yeah. and, and Bill replied with, "I don't know the answer to that one." He recorded it with Roddy before I arrived in the studio that day. It didn't blow me away the first time I heard it, but he and Roddy were very excited. It grew on me. Uh, so, so I thought we didn't really get an answer there. So, of course, you know, Mike Patton's not... You can't, you can't present these questions to Mike Patton. So I thought, who else could I try? So I did try Matt. And Matt said, hey, Jim, I remember recording those vocals, but I don't know what Patton's motivation was. He was always searching for a new and new unique ways to use his instrument, his voice. And somehow, while listening to throat singing, Eskimo voices, and a host of other ways that humans sing, he decided to go with the growl. So, yeah, yeah, Matt yeah. does give us a bit of an insight there to where Patton, what, what Patton was thinking. In, you know, because because Patton had never done any vocals like this before on Faith No More albums, uh, and I, I'm not sure I, whether he did anything particularly like this on a Mr. Bungle album either. Well, I don't think he's ever done anything. You know, this whispery growl thing. He's it's the only time he's really ever done it. Mm, yeah, in this way, possibly. I can't yeah, think yeah, of. Yeah. I can't think of. A, um, and I did sort of stop and think about where else has he done it. I mean, he's certainly done growls and all sorts of odd things over the years, but nothing like this. Yeah. 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 No, I really, I really appreciate that they, um, they still responded and came yeah. back with those answers. Cause that's, um, that even that hint of insight, I would, my own sort of assumption about pattern of that era coming away from the real thing and very definitely clearly not wanting to do that, yeah. Sound again, the yeah. you know the the rap. The rap metal however, thing, however I do think identified. you get a hint of the real thing nasal sound in the chorus. You get you get a hint sure. of that. Yeah, no, I'm not. Oh, no. I'm just talking specifically yeah. the rap. Yeah, okay, you know, like yeah, he wasn't yeah, gonna yeah. he wasn't gonna do another epic style yes, rap yeah, yeah, for yeah. that verse. Um, and he, yeah, and he, I, I think. Um, sorry, did Matt mention Godflesh in that quote? No, just no, then. He didn't. No, no, no. No. Because I know Patton was a big fan of Godflesh, and I feel like someone somewhere mentioned that influence as well. Um, oh, okay. But it's got that real, um, you know, like, he, I mean, he's quite plainly, intentionally trying to give it a bit of a growl. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's otherwise a bit of a, it's a growly rap. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, what's uh, interesting about these stems is, and I know you're going to talk about this now, is the fact uh-huh. that it's it, it, there's a, a, a really strong backing vocal is doubled up with these this these these lines yeah and i don't feel i feel like i'd never really noticed no, that i'd before. never noticed it well I, actually so I, I apologize I, I have noticed it because i've had these stems for a long time i've, I've listened mm. to them before but until <laughs> i listened to these the stems i'd not noticed it before it's not something you can readily hear in the full mix of the song no it's almost like you feel like you know they're there or something but you certainly don't hear them mm-hmm. um yeah, I'll, I'll I'll drop in a little bit of that that verse vocal. Go on and wring my neck like when a racket's wet a little disappear for my petty. Yes, my head is. And I think that the the voc the vocal style he uses for the um, backing vocals on there is more the style he uses when he sings this live. The backing, sorry, the way he delivers the backing vocal sounds yeah. more like the live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more, more more shouted than 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 whispered. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what ear alive. I mean, we yeah, are yeah, we are going to yeah, yeah. venture down that because he, um, yeah, throughout the years he's sort of changed the way 
and altered and mixed up the way he delivers yeah, this verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can hear it's um, – I wrote – my notes sort of said that it was like a, a spoken vocal fry, the backing vocal. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. um, he uh, – oh, I don't know how to describe it without just – I mean, we've played the sample. Everyone's heard it. But, yeah, it's it's far more plainly sort of spoken rather than – Growled and this, these vocals in the verse. This I did say a few minutes ago. That's just the timing is impeccable. You know the words that he pronounces and uses. You know, yes. um, you know. There's that famous quote where he said that he only picks the words he uses. You know, um, because of the way they sound and because of the way they fit with rhythms. And you could apply that quote to this verse, but when we get onto lyrics, you know, there's there's so much more to these lyrics than that. But this yeah. is. A, perfect example of the way that he can put words to, to and sounds together to match the the percussion in the in a song yes which is the perfect segue to exactly what i was about to say oh. listening to the uh because the bass pulse is just playing an eighth you know it's just a one and two and three and four and one and two and Patton's vocal speaks in time with that sometimes he'll Hang out a phrase or hang out on a on a word, um, but he never goes faster than that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he's either there with the bass or he's stretching out a word and sort of mm-hmm. breaking that up. So when you listen to the bass and vocal together, it actually sits in um, that 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 part sits in really nicely. Yeah. Go on and bring my neck like when a racket's where to little red for my petty. Yes, my head is like lettuce Go on, dig your thumbs in I cannot stop giving I'm 30-something So the next part that I want to talk about is breaking down his melody and I've seen I've seen this done plenty of times before when people are breaking down songs and Rick Beato's got that cool channel on YouTube where he'll say what makes this song great and he did do Epic at one point Um He'll often talk about the way a vocal melody sits theoretically over the music, and I don't think for a second that Patton was ever sitting there with a keyboard or with a guitar going, oh, what notes am I going to sing? You know, am I going to sing the, the the third or the seventh, or shall I sing the root over this section? Like, it, Patton's clearly the kind of singer who hears in his head an idea of what it is that he's trying to, or he tries to capture a feeling or he's trying to capture something and he's doing it by ear and he's just uh, creating from what sounds good that, you know, it's not based in theory first. The theory is sort of just a retrospective way to um, see and, you know, look back at what's interesting about it. And um, the bit that I wanted to break up is the um the sense of security uh so with a pre-chorus yes um so when he's singing the um sense of security uh uh what's, what's that like like pockets like i pockets always jingling. mix up loot. like pockets jingling yeah thanks yeah, sense of security like pockets jingling then it goes to the uh i had to remember what notes i'm playing Midlife crisis, right? That um, that bit where he's singing the midlife crisis, it's a really weird note, and it does create 
would you say it creates a sense of tension or unease or it's it sounds oh, a bit it's definitely yeah dissonant? It's definitely unnerving definitely unnerving yeah yeah and I, do you know what it it, it 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 harps back to what i was saying last episode i think i described it as the um unexpected chord where it could be an unexpected oh, yeah. note yeah. or whatever this this is a classic example of that too it's the it's unexpected cool. when it comes across you're like whoa but it sits perfectly and and you know it creeps you out it certainly creeps you out. Well, and I think that's what's so effective about the song as a whole because the verse has this, I don't want to say growly rap because it's intentional that I really get the pattern was moving away from rap, but, you know, we've got this, um, you know, growly spoken verse that doesn't have any melody to it um, and it draws you in more by being intriguing, almost that sense that something's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, with that with that verse, you know that the song's going to progress from there. And when it goes to the um, uh, when it goes to this pre-chorus, um, the like they're really that the, those first two lines are really nice. A sense of security. Uh, like they're really nice, and then we get to this. But that's the interesting thing as well because, geez, how do I do this quickly? So something that I remember saying back on the Real Thing episode was, um, you know the bit, uh, Cherish the Certainty of Now um, in the song The Real Thing where it does yeah. the... um, uh, And I pointed this out in that episode where Jim Martin plays this great guitar part that goes... And that note there, you've got um, in a chord, you've got um, it, in that, let's just, we'll talk on this C chord for a second. You've got the, uh, the root C, you've got the octave C, and then you've got the fifth on the uh, G. But it's doing this. And that fifth goes down to a flat fifth. And I love when, because it's such a, such a horrible couple of notes to put together out of any kind of context they just don't sound good together but when you can create some sort of movement like it sounds that dissonance can sound pretty yeah and I think the it's point also that got I'm that getting, middle eastern flavor that we've talked about in the past as well i think yeah a little bit there's um, maybe oh. maybe an ottoman kind of flavor to it <laughs> Like a piece of furniture. Yeah, they're fucking no. the Tower of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> ah. Oh god. Um, but the uh, the ah shit. What's patenting? So the, um. Then he goes. And that note there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. That's Absolutely. that very skillful movement down from the flattered fifth. You just struggle with so, it live a bit, though. And, yeah, so early, early Angel Dust days, sometimes it was almost like he didn't even know what note he was going for himself or, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he, he plainly hits it in the studio. But it's funny because I had that memory, um, and I'd shared that with you, that um, he didn't necessarily always hit that note live. But when I went looking for examples, he usually got it. Like, he usually did actually hit the note, but I think there was some early days, um, there were some early days with the 
performing this song live where he would fall down to that note and he wouldn't necessarily land there. But yeah, uh, yeah. if I quickly just doodle over that again, so... Then we get this great... So he's actually, when it goes to the A, he's actually just hitting uh, minor seven. Um, and I think it sounds really nice. I'll just try, I'll just isolate that out with the, um, of course we get some harmonies and the harmonies only, I guess, reinforce that, um, the harmonies only reinforce what's happening there, but yeah. I th- those harmonies as well, you don't really get a full sense of how close and tight they are to the lead vocal and how awesome they are. When you hear the the full track, these stems really highlight how great those harmonies are. Sounds on security, like pockets jingling. Yeah, so um, it's probably a bit it's probably a bit hard to isolate what people aren't already already hearing there, but I think I think you get the I think you get the gist of why that why the movement between those notes does sound a bit eerie yet it sounds it it really works and at, at some point it even to me that just sounds quite beautiful yeah yeah definitely it's quite pretty yeah um yeah and then so then we get to the chorus so as i was saying before we've got this um uh let's say alluring verse that doesn't really follow any melody at all then we go to this eerie unnerving to use your word for the uh, pre-chorus and then it comes slamming in the guitars come crashing in with the and the, the vocal you're perfect yes it's true the the, the chorus begins with an anacrusis do you know what, do you know what a, an anacrusis is jimothy i have no idea michael i'm sure you're going to tell us i don't know if technically anacrusis is a term that uh, implies the start of a song, but an anacrusis is something uh, that occurs before the first beat. So Patton sings, "You're perfect." So everything comes in on perfect, but we get this wonderful little just preemptive vocal that's you know, "You're perfect," which is you know, it, which happens across music all over the place. But it's a really wonderful little trick just to draw you in again because he's comes slamming in there you're perfect just as true um jim martin comes crashing in on the e chord um uh and then so we got the that so we were talking before about the keyboards and the guitar playing an e major so we get this uh you're perfect yes it's true and he goes boo without and what's so fucking skillful in his melody writing May not have been conscious, but it's fucking brilliant, Mike Patton. He goes, You're perfect, yes, it's true. Ah, oh, sorry. Yes, it's true. And then he goes, But without me. That, when it goes to the minor, because we're not expecting the minor, we're expecting the major, but when everyone, the keyboards, the guitar go to minor, Patton hits the minor third. So he's actually landed the melody right on that minor third moments before all the instruments give us that minor third and uh that is what is really hooking in the listener on i guess the uh 
the hook emotion of the song and the, the catch of that whole chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you dig it? Yeah, it's one of the greatest choruses, not only in Faith No More's catalogue, but pretty much ever for me. You know, coupled with the lyrics, it's just, oh, mate, fucking, you know, right now, absolutely start bollock naked with this vinyl of midlife crisis 12 inch just sticking it in the crack of my ass right now (laughs) fucking hell love it love this chorus absolutely adore it don't um don't get any ideas with your microphone you don't want to ruin it on its first session it's too thick Anyway. I don't know. Sounds like <laughs> soon enough he might I be. I don't uh, know. I don't know. Uh, just want to uh, just want to play. Uh, I'll, look, I'll, I better drop in a little bit of a sample. Uh, what I'll do is I'll just isolate out as much as I can of the guitars, keyboards, and guitar, uh, and guitar and vocal, so that you can really hear that going from the major. And when you just hear Patton hit that without me, that. Uh, that minor hits right as they all hit that minor chord. It's just a magical little moment and why that section works so well. Here we go. Here it is now. Your perfect yes is true But without me You're only yeah You're only yeah And then one of the other excellent little parts I mean, look, get on YouTube, search for the midlife crisis vocal if you really want to listen to the whole thing because it's all pretty interesting um but the second pre-chorus when he sings um i'm a perfectionist and perfect is a skinned knee the uh the knee he does this really great clearly i don't uh he does this really great little trill uh as he cycles down the knee but all the harmonies that go along with it um all just sitting really nicely and very nice execution of harmonies in this little section. Just, just, just have a listen. Sense of security, all in blonde instrument, melancholies. I'm a perfectionist, that perfect is a skin. Uh, then uh, at the interlude. Um, he comes in with this sort of falsetto soft vocal. I remember being a kid and hearing this, and I was young. I didn't understand the male voice. I thought it was. I thought they had female singers on this section. Oh, for God's sake! You've, you've said this before. Yeah, because I, I thought that with evidence as well. Yeah, I just yeah, didn't understand. Yeah. I was, my my voice hadn't broken yet, so I just thought it was a female singer there. Yeah, okay. it's a male. But then the um, uh, coming out of it. This is the bit that I just want to drop in a quick little sample of as well. Um, it's a middle of crisis. And then the next time around, it's a middle of crisis. And then dun, 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 dun. You know that bit. And everything's yep, like yep. building for the last chorus. You get these little harmonies in there. Just go, and you hear it. You hear it. But you just don't appreciate how effective they are yep. at creating, again, yep. a bit of that unnerving tension. So I'll just, I'll just um, zoom in on that here. It's a midlife crisis. You're perfect, yes, you're true. 
And of course, everyone, any, everyone who's anyone, who's everyone, who knows this song, loves the closing vocal yeah, of the these final choruses. Yeah, yeah. Whoever had the idea, you know, I, I, it was possibly, it was probably Patton, but it could have been someone else in the band, you know, sing a counter melody, sing, sing a melody that's doing something else over these final choruses. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I just recall that I didn't have it in my notes, but I, um, I forgot to mention that in this last chorus, old Roddy brings back the Cecilia uh, sample for the entire final chorus. Mm-hmm. The Cecilia sample doesn't feature through the first two choruses, but it, it plays throughout the final choruses of the song. And uh, old Patton does the awesome chorus with all the great, fantastic harmonies, but we also get that first two lines of the uh, the verse, go on and wring my neck like when a rag gets wet, sung over the top of that as well. Yep. Um, and we get, you know, all the you're only you and all those extra other little bits too. There's so much going on that it deserves to have a little bit of isolation and everyone can have a quick listen. Here it is. Yeah, that is just fucking brilliant, isn't it? And and that just like, oh, oh, God. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? hello? Yep. Okay, cool. (laughs) Should we carry on? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right, that's been us. Thank you, everyone. Oh man, I just I just love this song, you know. Well, clearly it was a favoured section too because forever forward, Roddy would sing that extra vocal over the last choruses. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, and is that? I mean, is this a? Is there much more you want to say on the song before we perhaps talk about their live performances? Well, I want to talk about the lyrics. Oh shit, dog! Yeah. Oh damn! I yeah. mean, these lyrics. Uh, when Patton was most involved uh, with the writing, and it's it, it, they're so skillfully poetic, um, they're ambiguous. They're just such a perfect example of 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 his talent. And like we just said earlier, he was, he was only twenty two, you know, when, when these were written, and he's he's just got such an expert use of language. Um, not just of of the poetic meaning and and the ambiguity, but also the skill of the words he chooses. Um, of course, most people know this this info, but I'll throw it in there. The working title of the song was Madonna. Yep. Um, now, midlife crisis. If you look up the um, definition, is a loss of self confidence and a feeling of, of of anxiety or disappointment that can occur during early middle age. Now, you know, I I wouldn't have thought this actually applies to Madonna. 
Um, but Mike Patton explained this in 1992. He said, The song is based on a lot of observation and a lot of speculation. But in a sort of pointed way, it's kind of about Madonna. I think it was a particular time when I was being bombarded with her image on TV and in magazines, and her whole shtick kind of speaks to me in that way. Like she's going through some sort of problem. It seems she's getting a bit desperate. So, you know, it's not about Madonna. It's about Mike Patton's feelings uh, when bombarded with Madonna, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But look, let's, let's, let's look at the lyrics. I wanna, really want to delve into lyrics. Now, you see... As you do, I mean, obviously, this, this, these lyrics are possibly the the ultimate example of Patton's use of sounds first, lyrics second, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd think so, yeah. Would you agree yeah. with that? I don't, I, yeah, yeah. Sorry if I've cut you off and you were going to go somewhere similar or if that... But no, no. It, it, feels as, it feels as though this is exactly the example of where he writes, you know, the sound of it and then he stitches words together and gets them to make sense. And they are yep, the perfect yep. example of that ambiguity, but also there's some, there's some meaning in there and it's, it's some of his it, – it's up there with his most skillful work. Yes, definitely. Mm. I mean, if you take a line like, you're perfect, yes, it's true – but without me, you're only you. I want that written on my gravestone. That is just <laughs> a, 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 such a, a an amazing phrase. I mean, you know, it, 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 it can refer to so many different things, um, but it surely stands out as some of the most powerful and poetic of all Faith No More's lyrics. Um, hmm. You know, and this particular song, it doesn't play out a character, I don't think, so much as... Some of the other songs on Angel Dust, um, which is what Patton seemed to be doing a lot of um, during this time. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously he's never, Patton himself has never elaborated on the meaning of this song. He put, I think he wrote somewhere, it's more about creating a false sense of emotion, being emotional, dwelling on your emotions and the sense of inventing them. Um, Possibly the references to Madonna were used to deceive and mock the press. However, the fact that Madonna was used as the working title does suggest that Patton was sincere about, you know, um, his allusions towards Madonna. Um, and but I, I personally think it's more to it, it deals more with relationships, maybe between family, and the 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 singer is speaking about self congratulation, self indulgence, um, maybe loss of innocence. So maybe it, it kind of could go some way to dis- to be a description of Patton's development from the real thing to Angel Dust. Hmm. Um, but it also kind of talks about fame and how Patton was disgusted with fame that was thrust upon him and, yep. and, and the way that celebrities use fame and stardom to believe that they're better people despite their own insecurities. Um, and so I think it's more personal than we give it credit for i think it is to do with patterns development um but i think again the ambiguity it's masked by attributing it to the way madonna behaves does that make sense in any way yeah yeah it does it does i mean it all it all it all ties in i've tried to study these lyrics so much over the years because i love them that much i uh, that quote 
I know Patton doesn't like people doing this, but I find it hard not to with this particular well, song. Well, the, the quote that he had the, around Madonna and her image being all over the television at that time, that that quote came out sort of around the time of the release of Angel Dust. That that wasn't it. It was around. Yeah, it was, it was around ninety two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always, I guess, I always just saw uh, what he was alluding to. Yeah. So it, yeah. it feels like it ties in to that. I know that's a kind of a bland response, but you could sort of see, you could see what he was getting at, and then he's just drawing from that feeling from all around it. Um, yeah, I mean, I always, I always love the the line "Your menstruating heart," which. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, who else would use the 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 um, <laughs> the menstruating in a song? Do you know what I mean? In that kind and, of and, yeah. and get away yeah. with it without causing any offence. Mm. And, mm. you know, because it is something that is, you know, quite personal to a woman. And, you know, if you're describing a song that is about Madonna and you're using that phrase, it could be quite offensive. Um, mm. mm-hmm. You know, I, I, but there are so many words, you know, that, that are so great. Just words like ingenuity. Not many songs you would find ingenuity yeah. in, you know, and the phrase "suck ingenuity down the family down through the family tree," you know, it's just genius, absolute genius. Mm. Um, you know, and as you go further through, uh, the salt and Kleenex, and I mean that to me is another knock back towards masturbation, quite possibly. I wondered um, that too, or I just wondered if it also just meant crying, salty tears. Well, yeah, but... quite, yeah, yeah, tears and, yeah, yeah. Uh, morbid yeah. self-attention, what a phrase, you know, a mm. donor by habit, rent an opinion, you know, these, these, yeah. I'm a perfectionist and perfect is a skinned knee. So I mean, you're, you're calling out all these lines where I've always wondered what he meant by, I always wanted to know what he meant by bending my pinky back. Yeah, 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 I mean... Th- Morbid self-attention, bending my pinky back, so yeah, self-inflicted yeah. pain or something. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah, rent an opinion was one that always stuck out to me too, because obviously that's tied around fame, or yeah, it felt like it was yeah, always tied around yeah, fame. Yeah, yeah. But like I say, I mean, as I've said, that my interpretation of what these lyrics could be about, uh, and I'm sure loads of people have different interpretations. I think there is a place on the internet called. Um, lyrics meaning at something.com oh, I yeah. remember yeah. and a lot of people have tried to interpret these lyrics and come up with their own suggestions and there's some that are way over the top and somewhere they've just said shut the fuck up just listen to it you know but yeah. uh, the, I think the long and short of it is that these lyrics are just outstanding and I don't think you know you can argue with that well they're outstanding they're, they're, again I always use the word ambiguous but they've got the they're they're wonderfully ambiguous, but they're incredibly poetic. You know, they, mm-hmm. they still point to the sentiment of what the song's about, but it's almost line by line. They're all pointing back to the same meaning of the song, but structurally, you know, the, the words don't all tie. Like the, the song doesn't tell a story or it's not like each yeah, line. Yeah, each yeah. line is just a useful line yeah, within yeah. meaning, but um, they don't all relate with each other. But there, I was just looking again, like, go on and wring my neck like when a rag gets wet. And then you also get my head is like lettuce. Go on, dig your thumbs in. Like there's and kind that's of that. Such a that's a great phrase as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but as a whole, the 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 angel dust seems to have 
a common recurring theme, which is age, growing old. Well, I was about to say that with everything's ruined. Yeah, there was there's a, different stages uh, of age. You know, yeah, because you, mm. you get midlife crisis, you get land yeah. of sunshine, which describes, you know, oh, the yeah. latter years of life. You know, the the end of life. You get um, kindergarten, which describes yep. the youth. You know, and I think the, the age. You know, different um, periods of age is something that occurs a lot on Angel Lust. And it makes you wonder mm. what, what, what you know, whether this was something Mike Patton was contemplating at this stage in his life. You know, I'm not saying he was going through any kind of midlife crisis, but was he sat there thinking, you know, well, you know, the the maturity that had come over him during, you know, the early 90s when he'd been thrust, fame had been thrust upon him, touring had been thrust upon him, he'd been dragged out of a small town which he'd been used to and then seen the world with faith no more. You know, was this something in his, that at this point in his life he was thinking about, you know, you know, maturity and, and, and the different stages of, of, of age? Yep. Yeah, yep. I think that midlife crisis could be a very important part of that. Yeah. There will be people listening that will go crazy if I don't mention as well the rhyme structure and the phrasing that occurs um, throughout this. Now, I haven't dissected it, so I, I can't. Um, I'm not about to say that it's in the form of A, A, B, C, C, B, D, D, maybe on the first. Yeah, but it's, you know, the, the go and ring my neck, like when a rag gets wet, it, it's it's easier when you've got the lyrics in front of you and you're reading them back to yourself because... The structuring of it just I'll just break these four lines down. A little discipline for my pet genie, yes, my head is like lettuce. Go on, dig your thumbs in. So he's tied he's tying different lines with the rhymes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, not I love gonna, that as well. We yeah, could that, we could th- those actually spend some used, time on that. But yeah, those yeah. tricks that you use where they're not they're not I'm sure there must be a a literal way of, of you know, a term for the for something that that, 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 that sounds like it's rhyming but don't actually rhyme. Yeah, um, there is a word for it and I can't think yeah. of what it is. Yep. Um, I use that technique. Oh, they're called samesies. Band, band, when I was in bands writing lyrics, I use that technique all the time. Uh, and I learned that from, from Mike Patton and from this song. Yeah. They, they're called, yeah. called samesies. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's definitely Samesies, it. yeah. 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 yeah it's a hip, hipster origin that first occurred yeah. in Bondi, mm-hmm. Bondi in mm-hmm. Sydney, yeah. Okay. Samesies. No. Um, fuck. There, there is a word. There is a word for sort of. Someone rhymes, will email us this, this this term, and we will um, mention we'll, it next episode. And we'll we'll just say that we we remembered what it was. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll add one little useless, uh, silly bit to close out lyrics. Uh, did you have much more to say on lyrics? No. Nope, no. I'm done. I remember being a kid. Actually, I will tell you this. I I loved this song. I, I I did love this song so much. I went out I, after deciding I like it after that family moment in the car. I sold my skateboard. I had a Santa Cruz skateboard. I sold my skateboard for thirty bucks and used the thirty bucks to buy Angel Dust. There you go. And then I remember one day after school, sitting down in front of the stereo with the CD, like in front of the CD player with the the linear notes from inside the uh, the CD sleeve. No, no that's, Lin- that's linear liner notes, notes yeah. Mike. Oh, right, thank you, you. yeah. It's liner notes. Yep, 
Right. Yeah. Continue. And uh, sitting there with the linear notes with uh, liner Life Crisis. Mike. That's that's liner notes, Mike. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And and I just basically just learned the lyrics to this song, not from slow. You know, you usually just learn lyrics to a song just by slowly you know, listening to the song enough and going, oh, what's that line he's saying there? I can't recognise what those... I sat there and actually worked through all the first verse, then all the second verse, then reviewed and spent about two hours just memorising Midlife Crisis because I wanted to know what the words were. Um, and the line, holding blunt instrument, yep. um, for no good reason at all, that funny little toot that happens in the intro of the song which i thought was a, a trumpet and you said was maybe a guitar in my head as a kid i thought that was the blunt instrument <laughs> i get you yeah 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 so yeah so right should we move on come on let's talk about something else let's talk about midlife crisis live, live. Eh? yeah, yeah. mid live crisis mid live crisis yeah so according to setlist fm um, Midlife Crisis has been played 421 times, which puts it fourth after Epic, Easy, and We Care a Lot. Because you care a lot. Yeah, so it's been it's you know it's it's been in the sets pretty much as a constant since 1992, and a crowd favourite. Definitely, certainly one of my favourites. Love. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so when they first started playing it. Was like the stadium tours with Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Soundgarden. Um, but I think the song came into its own towards the end of 92 when the uh, Faith No More went out and tour on their own, did their own headlining tour. And it's, this is mm-hmm. also about the time that they uh, added the Yeah sample to the beginning intro mm-hmm. over the um, um, Cecilia sample. Um, yep. And also, they um, dropped. <laughs> they dropped the um, little interlude after the first um, chorus, and this is uh, often referred to as the scream mix, uh. which is on uh, yeah, which is the same mix as that's on the video, and I do believe it's also on uh, B sides, or is it? It might even be the single that's the scream mix. I would call that bit after the first chorus the bridge, actually. The bridge, the, then, okay. The yeah, interlude yeah, the is after the sample. Yeah, I'd yeah, call that right, a bridge, okay. but so they, it, so they it, maybe the it's bridge. got a more... Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, yep. They dropped, boo, the bridge. Yep, as yeah. in cut it out. As in cut it out, yeah, yep, yep. Um, I think there's, there's some classic... Uh, well, there's some not just classic, there's some awesome versions of Midlife Crisis in 1992. There's obviously the BBC... Um, made a veil session that we discussed a few episodes ago, um, which is just absolutely out of this world. That version, such a great mm-hmm. recording. Um, I also love the uh, uh, hanging with MTV version. Um, yes, the live yep. one. That's that's really cool. And and obviously, you know, those live studio performances are always so cool to watch. I think I, you know. Yeah, I feel like in that hanging with MTV version. Um, I, I feel like Patton hasn't relaxed into that verse vocal yet. He looks a little bit concentrate Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it just looks yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit, a little bit like he's, um, I mean, it's not like it's difficult or anything. It just looks like he's focused on delivering the verse rather than it being second nature. 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which yeah. obviously just comes with time and after they've performed it a whole bunch. It's, it is a good yeah. version, yeah. though. Yeah, I do also like the version live at Sheffield Arena, which we do have um, a pro-recorded uh, version of it, pro-audio version of it, uh, which I think it was um, aired on... BBC Radio 1 around that time. But the reason uh, I love yeah, that one is because yeah. I was actually at that gig. Um, and, you know, that was just... I, I did see it live in Wembley. I was at Wembley in 92, saw that for uh, the version there. But uh, that was before the album came out. The single had not been out that long. So uh, I think at Sheffield Arena, that the song was, you know, was within my bloodstream. So seeing it mm-hmm. there was just fucking amazing. Um, any any particular versions from 1992 that stick in your brain box? Yeah, um, the Amsterdam uh, is it the Paradiso version? All oh, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I had a I had a bootleg called Overloaded, but it actually that particular it was like six tracks featured on a whole lot of bootlegs um, that, from that time. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was another bootleg called, I think it was just called Easy and had a picture of a dolphin on it. I think that had the same, if, if I'm remembering right. I, I kind of get a bit mixed up with the the bootlegs now because I remember it more by just actual dates and yeah, venues. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a good version from memory, and also I'm very fond of the the Melbourne version, which actually featured on Triple J's Live at the Wireless on radio right. here, and they did do a, a Live at the Wireless CD, and that single uh, Midlife Crisis featured as a single song on that CD. So there's a very good um a very good copy of that floating around out there. Um, cool. Yeah, and I like the way Patton delivers the chorus at the end. What was it? Was it the um, which version was it that on the third time around on the last chorus, Patton actually goes one more time, like he's just kind of over it. It's one of the one of the live bits of footage you just mentioned. I'm sure. Do you know what the outdoor I, I, daytime? I know, I know one. what you mean, but maybe that's a question for a little brain box that he is, um, Andrew Bowie. Oh, cool. Hang on, I'll just give him a quick call. Hi, Andrew Bowie, creator of FNMLive.com, online archive of the most complete and accurate listing of Faith No More's concert dates and set lists. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, Jim and I were just talking, and uh, we were just talking about that particular live performance of um, of uh, Midlife Crisis, and it was definitely Angel Dust era. But uh, it's almost like Patton's being sarcastic and he's mucking around and cycling around to the third time he sings the chorus he just goes one more time and we're discussing when that was do you know what show that was yeah i think another one um one of the really early 92 shows sporting gunners um i think it's on youtube it's in prague ah right yeah Prague. yeah that's right i remember it was i think so uh there's a little bit of uh footage from that Nice one, yeah. And no, I've definitely seen the show before, so it was Prague '92. Yeah, good one. All right, thanks, mate. I knew you'd know. Oh uh, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about before we would leave the '1992, um, uh, um, I forgot to mention this earlier. When Faith No More were on tour with with Guns N' Roses, um, there's an infamous article that was published in Melody Maker. And it's the one that got Faith and Mind into a lot of trouble with Axel 
and Guns N' Roses. The one that um, encouraged an intervention and made Faith No More, you know, made the management of Guns N' Roses sit down with Faith No More and give them a telling off. Mm. Um, and this is what um, Mike Patton says in this interview. Um, so he's talking about Axl Rose. He came up to me the other night and said, Hey man, your song really helped me get through some really heavy shit in my life. I said, Really? What song is that? He said, Midlife Crisis. What kind of shit, I asked. He looked at the ground for about an hour, then shook his head and said, Hmm, just a lot of shit, man. I tell you, I was biting my lip. I was so hard trying not to lose it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Midlife Crisis helped Axl Rose get through some heavy shit, which is cool. Nice. There's a, there's a one one mention of Faith No More in Slash's biography, which was actually mm-hmm. a great read. Um, yeah, I've read it. Yeah, yeah and that, and it, it mentions that same era where I think Patton was just bagging Gunners the whole the whole yeah. well, the whole initial part of the tour, and they actually a couple of apparently they had a heavy word with him and went, "Man, do you want to be here or not?" And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's I, what was worded I, by do, Slash. Do I, do I remember it correctly that Slash kind of makes out? You know, look, we gave these, we loved these guys, we wanted them there, and then they just fucking ripped on us you know fuck those guys is that is that kind of what he said oh he yeah he definitely makes out like yeah. faith no more were well uh, i, I believe assholes. jim martin was happy enough to, like jim martin was happy to be there but yeah, yeah mostly yeah, yeah. Patton was taking the piss and they were more than anything faith no more were just being a bit ungrateful but or mostly Patton was yeah. just taking the piss and being ungrateful but um he didn't seem to hold a grudge or anything he was more just saying yeah. almost just it's been a long time bit... since i've read that but i did enjoy it actually. yeah I did enjoy that that book yeah, but yeah. they were just being a bit bratty, and then they got pulled into line, and then they behaved after that, and well, continued I mean, with the tour. I, I'm sure we could do an entire episode on this particular tour, on this period in Faith No More's history. But I mean, the long and short of it is, Faith No More took the job, and then very shortly after they took the job, realised they didn't want the job, they didn't want to be there. You know, they were thrown into a low world of shit that they didn't appreciate, didn't understand, and and the way they dealt with it was by pushing the um, boundaries and and the tensions and basically trying to be as bratty as they possibly could. Yeah. 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 All right, if we move on to 1993. Um, okay. Oh, I was yeah, going to say quickly as oh. well, I remember covering it off in at the Maida Vale episode, or the, baby, baby, the BBC, the BBC episode. Um, they dropped, or they started playing the scream mix. So they 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 dropped the the bridge after the first chorus. I don't believe there's a single live recording of them performing that bridge section. It sounds like it's forever been dropped. Is that right? I'm not sure, but I know a man who will know. Uh, hey, Andrew, you know that bit in Midlife Crisis. Uh, so coming out of the first chorus, we get a bridge on the album where he sings, it's a me. And they cut that bit out uh, both on the the video, the radio edit, but also live. Did they ever perform that bridge part live? Not that I know of. Um, Definitely don't do it in some of the early shows and I haven't really noticed it. So I don't think they've ever done that live. Yeah, no, I certainly haven't heard it. So, um, yeah, you don't know of any... Recordings, perhaps when they first started touring the song. Yeah, so there's um, there's one from the Marquee Show, which is the second show of the '92 tour, and they don't do it then. 
So I'm, I'm thinking if they don't do it then, they probably never did it. Yeah, um, right. Maybe it was uh, something they did in mixing that sounded good at the time but just didn't seem to work live, so they decided to cut it. Yeah, right. Good one. Um, All right. Thanks, mate. No worries. So, sorry, you, and then you started talking about 1993. So, yeah, there's, uh, very, there's uh, some really memorable performances from 1993 as well. Uh, the Jay Leno performance and the one at Phoenix Festival, which is a great example um, because Patton drops the mic and so there's no singing towards the end. So you, cle- you can clearly hear the changes to the guitar line that Jim Martin... Has um, has progressed and done. After do you mean Patton? Song for, do you mean Patton drops the mic? Patton drops the mic like a fat beat, or he drops the mic like? No, I think he just fumbles it and it falls out of his hand. I don't think it's uh, anything cool and trendy. Uh, yeah. No, uh, um, I I believe the mic actually drops out because it looks like he's still holding onto it in the video. Oh, okay, all right. It just suddenly okay. between after as soon as the first chorus finishes. It just um it just cuts and then he's singing into it and then he just starts dancing and getting away with it. But and sorry, I just talked straight this over is, you. This you're, is Jim you're reflecting how Jim last, Martin, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's his last ever show. Mm, the Faith mm. No More. And pretty much every review of this show um describes Mike Patton as just taking the piss. Not out not only out of Jim Martin, but out of the music that they're playing. It's like I think mm-hmm. this had you know, tensions have been strained that much. I think at this point, Patton just didn't give a fuck, you know, about about Faith No More. I think Funny took, though, because it's a particularly good break. show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think he just need, but I think he needed a break at this point. But anyway, yeah. so if you listen to this performance, you get to hear yep. the the guitar embellishments that that Jim has added to the song over the year of playing it. Yeah, and what I like about it is because you can hear, you know, if we go right back to talking about the, you know, hanging with MTV footage and you know, and the early versions of performing it live, uh, Jim's kind of just locking in with just playing the rhythm parts and not straying very far from how it sounds on the album, but then somewhere along the way um, of easing into it, and as you were just saying before, after touring the song for a little bit, he started to you know lay these embellishments into it there's some really cool little rhythmic stuff that he starts adding into it just to add a little bit more feel um and that phoenix version he plays the you know there's three choruses that close the song out first chorus he plays it pretty straight with just a little bit of uh, rhythmic embellishment second time around he does this great lead guitar fill and because Patton's mic's dropped out uh Mike Patton's mic. That, that's a weird thing to say, Patton's mic. Anyway, Patton's mic's <laughs> dropped out and there's this great little lead guitar line and you hear it really clearly because there's no vocal over the top of it. Now, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not that great a lead guitarist and I did look at what Jim was doing and at least what it looks like is he's, do- the, he's doing this thing where first time... And he's actually playing it down the lower part of the neck, so he's just playing these big open chords. So first time around, um, there's this, like, you're perfect, yes, it's true. But we're the-. And then when it goes to that... Um, and I was saying before, the coolest thing about Patton's vocal is he hits that minor, uh, that the minor of the E chord, um, which is a high G, uh, which is... 
that note there, you will hear in that cool little lead line that Jim does, it goes, you're perfect, yes, it's true, but without me. He does this like, and does this cool little lead down, but it starts on that G in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. So he's still um, hinting at that that excellent little part of what makes it so good and i believe from what i can hear it sounds like he's doing a descending um pentatonic thing on the e minor then he's doing maybe in a uh, a d major arpeggio like all, but it's all descending d d descending then an a descending it's all um i think it's technically a pretty straightforward thing i'm just not i'm not the greatest lead guitarist but it, it's all falling within uh, the you know falling around the chords that are being played in that part, uh, and then 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 the the last time around he just breaks up the chords so he's playing the same chords but he just goes yeah that kind of thing. Uh, but I'll drop yeah. it in. I'll drop in all three of those choruses because then you can hear the first time around with Patton um, guitars pretty straight, and then you hear the lead that you know the lead on the second time around, and then the broken chords on the third. Um, I think we talked about this um, in the BBC Sessions episode, that Mm -hmm. even though Jim was at a point, particularly here in 1993, on his last ever gig, where, you know, these these songs, uh, they didn't really resonate with with Jim, did they? You know, he didn't have that much to do with writing them, etc. He still played them with great conviction, though. He still... You know, and to and to embellish on the the parts and really make them his own uh, over mm. these couple of years. You know, you have to take your hat off to him. You know, he he put his all in. Uh, would you would you also? I'm I'm sort of I've never thought about this before, but I get the sense that perhaps he wasn't you know hugely into Angel Dust when it came out, but being forced you know out on the road and performing these songs and then just that ongoing every night playing the same things and you know they they had a a similar set list you know they were they would alternate a few songs but you know he was certainly into Jizzlobber because that was his that mm-hmm. was his one song on Angel Dust but you know there were some songs like uh like definitely Midlife Crisis uh Small Victory um there were a few that by the end of the tour the later bootlegs of uh 92 and 93 um especially 93 it sounds like he actually found found his place within the songs and some of his the way he was performing the yep. songs became a little bit more Jim. 100%, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah he definitely hmm. yeah, he definitely grew into them. Yeah. We'll do which a is, um let's you know, do we, a Phoenix which, Festival episode one day. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another another performance of 1993 worth mentioning is at the Warfield. 
uh, where Patton adds an ad lib on top of Midlife Crisis. He adds um, Prince. Uh, my name is Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah another yeah. one. My name is Prince. Yeah, yeah. Um, just at the end, which is really cool. It's always nice to hear Patton's ad libs. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. And it's an interesting spot too because, well, there were a few times as well through 92 and 93 where they did stop in the middle. Um, was it the yeah, Phoenix to do a bit of a- show? One of them, they stopped. Yeah, the- and um, Patton goes, stop it, you silly people yes, singing and dancing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Silly, silly. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which show was that? Oh, mate, one other thing. Um, there was a performance of Midlife Crisis. Again, it was Angel Dust era. And they do that pause after the, um, the big interlude before they go into the final chorus. And I know they did that a few times, but there's one particular show where Patton sort of makes fun of the audience. He goes, oh, stop it, you silly people singing and dancing. You silly people. Something like that. You, which show was that? Uh, that'll be the last show of 93, so Jim's, Jim's last show in Phoenix. Oh, it was Phoenix. Yeah. Ah, oh, okay. So they, they do that port thing, they start doing that in July, they do it, do it a few times. Um, but uh, that's that's the particular one where um, Patton puts on the weird voice and talks to the crowd. Right. Good yeah. one. Yeah, I, I like that particular, that whole bootlegs are awesome. Yeah, it's interesting they did that pause and they brought the pause back in in 2009 for the reunion shows, but they didn't do it in 95 or 97. Yeah. A weird blip in 93 where they did it and then brought it back again. Yeah. All right, mate. You're all, you've always got the answers. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, uh, Mike, one more thing. Remember last time we talked about uh, whether Pat and Dunn and Spruance had ever shared a stage together since uh, the Dungle California tour? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was reminded, or I discovered a video of Zorn's Cobra in 2010. And although uh, it wasn't advertised as having Trevor on base, he was there on base when you look at the video, which is on YouTube. So uh, there is at least one time when all three of them were on stage at once for a Zorn show. I've been proven wrong and I'm happy that. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what did you say that show was called? Uh, it's at Yoshi's in San Francisco. It's the Zorn's Cobra. Ah, uh, Zorn. I Cobra, I think that's his, his um, project where they kind of improvise the entire show. Uh-huh. One of his weird... Uh, yeah, well, he's, he's always weird, but, yeah, one of his yeah. unusual ones, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really my thing, but uh, it's an interesting listen. All right, <laughs> Zorn. It's good to have video of it because you can watch them all interacting. Yeah, right. Figure out what each other's going to do. Right, right, right. So Zorn Cobra yeah. 2010. Yep. All right. Good one. Okay. Thank you, Andrew Bowie, creator of FNMLive.com. No worries. Good one. All right. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Good luck. <laughs> See you. So I move on to 95. There's Again, there's the Phoenix Festival performance. Oh, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. So the whole reason oh. I brought that up is they did do the pause in the middle, and we're going to discuss this in a minute. And then they started doing some other yeah. fun cover stuff in the reunion later in the, later yeah. in the career. But uh, interestingly, they were doing the pause in Midlife Crisis, and interesting that he threw in the My Name is Prince on the last chorus, but they weren't mucking around with that middle bit they were just having a big pause yep 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 that's true 
That's yeah. that's actually that was that's all I had. It, well, I, I apologize. That wasn't worth the interruption. Continue, please, <laughs> Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 95, Phoenix Fest, another great performance. Um, they performed it on Most Wanted, MTV's Most Wanted. That's a that's a cool Love that version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, that's the first and that, time we, that, uh, we say uh, Dean. Yeah, and that's a great um, performance by Dean as well, I think. I think we've discussed this possibly before. I, I, I think Dean is really underrated. I really like Dean. I think he fit into the band as a character really well. He played the old ship with conviction and the, he had energy it seemed like him and Patton clicked on stage you know they they bounced off each other um, but mm. that's for another episode i'm sure yep um but the one that i wanted to um that's that's really cool that i wanted to mention was the monsters of rock um performance which, uh, is that chilly yeah um yeah yeah is it is it chilly yeah i think it's chilly yes shaved head yeah shaved head Right at the front with his red T-shirt on and the crowd yeah. starts spitting at him. It goes all over his face and then he opens his mouth yeah. and points to his tongue and they're all spitting in his mouth, which um, I'm I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that that's kind of like um, a, a, a sign of appreciation from the crowd when they spit on someone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. Um, but Mike Patton obviously takes it to another level and they spit in his mouth and in his eyes and all over him. Um, yeah, I just realised we didn't much, articulate much, that it was Patton being spit on and opening yes, his yeah, mouth. Yes, as much as we're it's disgusting, about Danby, it's, it, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool to watch. It's really, you know, it's really like, it's <laughs> super Patton, yeah. isn't it? You know what I mean? It's yeah, great. anyone who wants to dive into that particular live performance, also watch them performing Glory Box because Patton yeah, cops a yeah, nice definitely. loogie on his forehead and leaves it there. <laughs> he goes, ooh, and just leaves it sitting there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, a, of, yeah. that's definitely a visual thing. I don't think dropping a soundbite in would uh, a soundbite soundbite would um, at all. Uh, in, um, yeah, yeah no, no it, yeah. Let's try. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know what? I actually, um, I, I, <laughs> I really like Dean's guitar work. Uh, as an as an era, I must say, in reviewing the uh, all these live performances of Midlife Crisis over time, it makes me feel a little bit ripped off that we didn't get Trace Bruins live because it it didn't happen. It's a stupid hypothetical other dimension. You know, somewhere out there, there's a there's a there's a parallel reality where Trace Bruins was in the band and stayed with the band, and I'd really love to experience that that parallel universe because. Trace Bruins performing this stuff live would have been awesome, but he didn't. But Dean Mentor actually still did his own cool thing, and it made me appreciate what he does because he's not chunky and martial tone the way Jim Martin is. He's got almost a grunge, which you you referred to the grungy sort of sound from BBC Sessions episode, and mm-hmm. the guitar work has this. Um, there's a guitar pedal that. Kurt Cobain uh, was known for using, which is the Boss DS1. Uh, And I don't know what Dean's using, but it has that sound of this far sort of sludgier, messier kind of overdrive rather than a really tight, chunky Jim Martin sound. Um, And we get that in the the live versions of Dean performing 
uh, midlife crisis because he he's opening out the chords a little bit as well. He doesn't just play straight like the album. He, and you got to remember too, Dean was um, Roddy's guitar tech, right? Uh, Roddy's keyboard tech. Ah, oh, that's what fool. I meant. Yeah, right. Sorry, You're crazy Roddy, fool. Roddy's. Yeah, so he was Roddy's keyboard tech. So Dean had been on tour with Faith No More, so he would have witnessed Jim performing these songs. And Mm -hmm. I did actually think the way he's breaking the chords up, he's imitating that third chorus of the the Phoenix gig we were just talking about, the way Jim plays that third chorus. That's sort of the approach Dean's taking on the choruses of midlife. Um, and he adds in this one little wow. I think it's let's wow. He does some bend somewhere. I'm going to drop in a sample now. I was just going to say that leads perfectly into 97 because John drops all these extra parts. John mm. basically plays Midlife Crisis like he learned it from the CD version. Right. There's, you know, there's, I've listened to a lot of live performances just to try and find John playing those extra embellished bits that we were just talking about that Jim does, and he doesn't play them. Uh, even come Reunion and Solemn Victor's nope. Tour? No, 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 no. Ah, oh, see, I yeah. did... I listened to a bunch of versions, and I've got to be honest, I zoned out of... The only thing I like about John doing midlife is that he breaks out an Ebo live. Oh, and that's... I'm going back in time a little bit. That's what Dean Mentor, um, you know, Jim Martin live on that uh, uh, pre-chorus bit where we get the feedbacky thing yep. we were talking about earlier. Um, Jim Martin seems to maybe roll the volume pot of his guitar in so that the sound fades in gently. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he just gets the feet because Jim, I'm pretty sure Jim had his amps cranked on stage. And that's kind of a gentle way to bring those notes in. Whereas Dean Dean Martyr, uh, Dean Mentor would just hit the note and just all of a sudden come in like this. Um, I think John did that as well. Invasively. John came in quite, quite abrasively as well. But he does have an Ebo. Jo- um, okay, yeah, yeah. John's got an Ebo on stage and there's uh, you, you definitely see it in the Phoenix 97 footage. You actually see him sort of fumbling with it. And the thing about an right. Ebo, if you, um, if you, if you have time to sort of grab it and gently rest into it, you can just slowly bring it toward the pickups and sort of get it moving slowly and progressively. But they're, they're finicky things to work with because you've got to balance okay. it over the uh, magnet of the pickups perfectly. Uh, and if you don't align it, you just don't get any sound. So, um, yeah, if, if it comes in abrasively for John, it's probably because he's just not lining up the Ebo. But there, I've, it sounds like he does a pretty good job of it most of the time. That that section. To be honest with you, there's nothing really in ninety. There's no performances really in '97 of this song that that stand out more than any others to me. Can you think of no. any? No, not the only thing I like about John's work is that he broke out the Ebo as a way of really okay. giving a nod to Jim's performance on the album. Yeah, yeah. So mm. uh, obviously now we've got a uh, um the hiatus. And then they return 2009, and Midlife Crisis, of course, returns to the sets. And this is where they really made use of that um, crowd participation uh, bit in the middle, which um, you mentioned earlier. Um, Pretty much every show, 
you know they 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 put that in there uh and and the crowd react perfectly they all sing it it's a, a brilliant little um tool that they use yep. um yeah um but i think in the reunion particularly moving into 2015 onwards this is the part where they start to add um i wouldn't even call them ad libs because they're actually full sections of of songs in certain cases um and you know so they they stop and then they come in with and i mean some of the songs they they they've chosen a lot of these songs that they ch- choose kind of um relate to where they are so for example mm-hmm, when they're in mm-hmm. canada they played a bit of the power of love by celine dion um i haven't and, seen that yeah and then in um australia uh, they, I think it's that's where they start. They played the Lion Sleeps Tonight, which of course isn't an Australian song, um, but I get where they're kind of like um, uh, they're tr- they're what they're trying to get at. If you see what I mean, do you get that being an Australian yourself? Nope. Nope. Okay. Just In me. In fact, then. I'm offended. <laughs> but it, <laughs> no. What? Yeah. What would they be getting at though? I don't know. Huh. That, you, that you all live in mud huts, maybe. <laughs> we're all convicts. Like, uh, yeah, and you all. Yeah, eat, we're like, all convicts and settlers. Yeah, and you eat bats, mm. and um, bats, bats. Like, yeah, like cricket bats. bats. No, no, huge like bats, and ride crocodiles. Mm-hmm. And, oh we, yeah, we ride um, the crocodile. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, and we we um look, we hop I've in kangaroo seen... pouches on the way to school. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I I've seen Crocodile Dundee, mate. I know exactly what it's like. I've watched Neighbours. I've seen Crocodile Dundee. I know what it's like in Australia. You don't have to educate me on your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fun, cool. Yep. And we don't wear shoes. Don't you? No, we just step in a nice fresh cow pat. Uh, to, to warm our feet and we're allowed to dry around and we just walk in um, cow pat shoes. Good, 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 good. Mm. Sounds good. Maybe we should cut this entire Lion part. sleeps tonight. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, yeah anyway, line. continue. Uh, Boast Gags, Lido, Shuffle and Lowdown. Fucking great Rich song. Girl. Brothers Johnson, Strawberry Letter 23 was a big favourite. Um, they even dropped in the Foo Fighters All My Life. Um, kind of mixed oh, up right. with Surfing Bird when they replaced Foo Fighters. That's right. That Festival. Can't remember which one it was. Um, I like that Patton back... just clearly couldn't be bothered learning the words, so he just oh, started doing not, something really. else. Yeah. Van Halen Jump, which, you know, the band used to play that but way back in 1987 with, with Chuck. So that was a nice little return for mm. that song. Um, but anyway, this blows. I haven't seen a lot of these. They also did Stevie Wonder... Um, Oh great! Oh, what's that? What's the song? Um, Sir Duke. Yes, they did. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the first time they bust that out, that was because apparently the band had been talking about it or something, and they hadn't told Patton that they were going to do it. And they secretly, the rest of the band secretly learnt that section of Sir Duke. The I know it really well. And but you see Great Patton song. laugh. You see Patton laugh and turn around and sort of laugh along with it. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they surprise him. So that's that's a fun one. I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of this particular interlude in the set. Um, I wish they'd have done it in another song. I like what they've done, but I kind of feel like 
midlife crisis, you know, it's 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 too much of a great song to fuck around with in this way. I find um, it a bit naff. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not a fan of these. I'm not a fan of these. Mm. You know, we'll we'll there'll be other episodes that talk about certain live shows from this that era, you know, both Reunion and then Sol Invictus tour, but there's a because of the time that's gone by and because it's a little bit of a throwback greatest hits show, there's a little bit of nostalgia involved in the way they're doing the shows because they're playing, you know, most of their tour seems to revolve around festivals as well and the festival show and appealing to a broader audience, you know, bigger audiences, but audiences that perhaps don't know the band as well. There's a little bit more... Show, like, you know, old Faith No More performances were almost a bit cocky. You know, my, my favourite era was probably 95, um, especially Patton in 95 because there was this cockiness to the way they performed. But more in a we're not here, oh, feeling like we're not here to please you. We're going to, we're just going to do yeah. what we, what we want to do. But in that, the audience is likely, you know, the fans are likely going to enjoy it. Whereas, Later, they're playing up to the crowd. And there's, well, I was saying cocky before, but there's a different type of cockiness in the way they're performing, a bit show pony. And this midlife crisis section to me, I, I just said it was, uh, it's a bit naff. I, fe- I you know, it, it, it certainly draws the crowd in. They, you know, they stop the song midway, and then even people who half know the band probably know this song. And then they bust into a cover that most people will know. And then everyone's, um, you think? I think some of them I'd never even heard of before. They did the Bo, Sk- Bo Skag stuff, never heard of it. Brothers Johnson, you know, Strawberry no Lido Letter Shuffle. 23. No, never, never heard of those. Um, oh. They're obvious ones, the ones that I obviously have heard of. But I mm-hmm. think the majority, of the, like the, obviously they played the Strawberry Letter 23 regularly and the yeah, Bo Skag stuff. And I'd never heard of Sorry. them before. You're right. So, um, yeah, I'd not, not heard of those. I so. guess I'm referring to when they... When they went to different countries and they played specific songs to those countries and they're playing up to that, that's sort of where my head was at where I was saying that. Right, but you're absolutely yeah. right. Like, there, was like, time, there were times like the Australian anthem, things. The Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> yeah, our national anthem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, when you get a, when you get a, a, a stadium of Australians that know the song and you got one side doing a whim away, a whim away, and then yeah, you got another I, half, you know what? Another half I of the stadium. Imagine. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Us yeah. Australians know how to rock the lion sleeps tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? Yeah. What's that great so, line from go, the song? Something about a Vegemite sandwich. That that's a brilliant line from that song as well. Yeah, he <laughs> just smiled at. No, I'm trying to sing. I'm trying to sing it to the tune of Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the what I would have liked to have seen them do is it just you know cry he says dun 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 then the audience you're perfect sing along it's true and then and it's like and then they're just like without me only menstruating on it ain't playing enough for two yeah and then it just comes back in. If they yeah, just did I'd, that, I'd have preferred that. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? God. I'm not saying they shouldn't have played these little cover snippets, but stick it in a different song, uh, or you know, or just do them between songs. Do you know what I mean? I just, yeah. I don't know. I just, it just By kind of ruins means. the mood of midlife crisis. Putting a, a little, let's face it, they're kind of jerky. You know, they're kind of humorous. 
You know, see the mm. if, if you see crowd shots on pro footage, you know, uh, the crowd is smiling and laughing. You know, they're still having a good time, but it is kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek thing, I think. So, anyway, get out of town. <laughs> Should we move yeah. on? Yeah. So uh, we've got, an, we've got yeah, one more right. thing to talk about when it comes to midlife crises, and that's the video. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Should we talk about the video? Yes, and wanna? I, I did, yeah, I, I, I'm more than happy for you to talk about the video, and I'll just mention the things that I remember, because okay. in, in all this preparation, did not even cross my mind to watch it. Right. Do you remember the bit where the lead protagonist in the video rides across a small lake on the back of a crocodile? <laughs> no, Do you remember that did bit? that happen? No, well, let's wow. get into this was video he, then. Was he wearing cow shit shoes? <laughs> <laughs> cow shit shoes. Oh, oh, we should call this episode cow shit shoes. That's cow such a shoes. brilliant phrase. You're perfect. Episode 10. Yes, cow it's shit true. Shoes. But You're these are my cow shit shoes. Cow shit shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is going great. Oh, shit. Right, okay. Uh, At the start of the video, we see Bill, don't we? What? First person we see in the video is Bill. Uh, Quite possibly, yeah. 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 Do you know what? I think it's quite... It's arguably the best Faith No More video. I just think it's shot amazingly. If you forgot about the evidence video, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, that's a great video also, but I I just think there's (laughs) something about this video that's i mean it's dark it's dramatic it's mm-hmm. cinematic it's abstract it's got yep. it's a perfect visual visualization of the song's temperament ter- temperament temperament um mm. and the temperament yeah, yeah and the temperament too mm-hmm. uh directed by kevin kerslake who um was quite famous for doing nirvana videos if you if you watch midlife uh-huh. crisis and then watch come as you are straight afterwards they're like a continuation it's you know i suggest doing that shit i didn't cool. know that he uses yeah. he uses some of um, the same kind of um visual tools uh, mm. but kevin kerslake you know what enough, right after we what? finish this episode i'm going to throw some shrimps on the barbie and go and okay. watch some midlife cry. Put yeah, your shit shoes on. In my shit you, shoes. Cow shit shoes. Cow yeah, shit yeah. shoes. Oh, then no, no, yeah, my yeah, accent's yeah. gone somewhere else. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, okay. Anyway, yep. Kevin Kerslake directed the video for Quote Unquote by Mr. Bungle. So he'd already oh. worked with Patton. Um, oh. Yeah. Again, you can see similar um, camera techniques, similar lighting techniques in both this and um quote-unquote videos um but kevin cursey actually grew up with bill and roddy um got a bit of a quote from um from kevin from 2016 quote-unquote yep from kevin 2016 he said we were neighbors and our parents actually went to school together so i had a lifelong relationship with those guys i was also a big fan of faith no more we never talked about the root or the theme of this song so i have no idea what it's about but the overall flavor of the video is torture there are some lyrics in the song about somebody who lost all four limbs and that's where the idea of somebody being quartered came from 
Um, we also started putting together that when we sorry when we started putting the shoot together, one of the things we quickly learnt about horses is that they are pack animals so when you face four horses in opposite directions their instinct is not to go forward typically there is a lead horse of all the other horses will follow him so we had this guy attached to four horses and one of the horses reared up as the other horse started charging forward the effect of that was that one horse was actually pulling the other horse on its back and the stuntman was right to below him. Thankfully, he was very agile and got out of the way in time, but it was a pretty hairy moment there. Eek. So, yeah. I do remember reading yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. it had me thinking um, across those three videos that you mentioned. Um, I don't know what the term is in film direction but or, or even in music videos, but it's almost like there's bi-plot as in two plots. You know, there's the, the plot of the band performing the song and then there's the plot of whatever the story is and it's constantly just switching between both. And I would say three. If actually. I'm right in saying at no point do the plots actually intertwine or overlap. They're just It's just telling, you know, that they, they, they sort of relate. I would, say I would say there's three plots though. I'd say there's the two plots you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the band, and then there's I think there's a, yep. a kind of plot centered around like Kevin Kerslake just mentioned torture, and then there's another mm-hmm. plot that's that's more to do with religion. There's a lot of you know there's the crosses and the the um, Catholic choir yeah. boys in there, um, uh-huh. which I'm sure there's a quote in from Kevin as well in. Adrian's book, A Small Victories, <clears throat> that mentions that that was to do with their upbringing because obviously Bill, Roddy and Kevin all went to like a Catholic school and were taught by nuns and I think that idea came from their history together. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that was just a, an on-the-fly kind of thought yeah, yeah. because but, Come As You Are and Quote Unquote seem to do sort of similar things where they're just yeah, crossing yeah, between yeah. different stories. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Digging the Grave does and as well, and A Small Victory does, you know, videos that, that, that follow this. And I think the style of this video, although although Kevin never direct, directed another... Oh, actually, no, he did direct another Faith and More video. I think he did um, Everything's Ruined, even though that was obviously a cheap... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pun. I'm sure Kevin Kerslake directed that one as well. Anyway, um, when you hmm. look yeah, at... Cool the the precedent this video set kind of like the videos to follow are all quite dark and gritty you know look at small victory look at digging the grave look at another body murdered um Mm -hmm. evidence ashes to ashes they've all got a kind of darkness to them they're all very cinematic but also very gritty and i think midlife crisis set the tone for this yeah, I must. I must agree with you. It's one of my. It's definitely amongst my favorite of Faith No More's videos. I love it. I love it, and I like Faith No More in the the um, video. They're all <clears throat> they're all dressed up. Billy's like a fifties gangster. Um, Patton is um, in his guise as a petrol um, pump attendant <laughs> with a shovel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with like some, do you know he reminds me of in this video? And to be honest with you, I've that's this has just sprung to mind, so I don't know when the film come out. But do you remember that film California, spelt with a K, with Brad Pitt in it, and the dude yeah, from yeah. the dude from X Files, and um, uh, what's what's her name? She's uh, Ju- is it Juliet Lu- Juliet yeah, Lewis? Uh, 
Do you, do you Lewis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she it, in that? It, Pat Norris reminds me yeah. of that main character out of that film. You know, the the serial killer. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I, I don't know which came first. I'm pretty sure this came before that film, and I don't think either are based on either. But he always reminds me of that um, Brad Pitt character, that trailer trash character yeah. in uh, in that film. But um, but yeah, and so and then you've got um, Jim Jim Martin's all dressed in in um, uh, camo army gear, um, and you know you, you get you get glimpses of him in this 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 video, but you never get a full impression of what's going on. And I love yep. that about this video. I love that it's, it's you know, there's flashes going on and it's, the camera work is, is brilliant. Um, I love that Patton's using a shovel as a prop yeah, instead of yeah, a microphone yeah, as well. It's brilliant. Cool. love that. I love yeah. how he climbs up and sat in a top of a tree as well. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an absolutely brilliant video. I love it. There's, there's, there's some close-ups in it. Where you kind of, and there's one in particular, you, you, well, it's a few actually. You see Roddy's head on his keys. He kind of like laid on top of his keys, which is a cool image. Mm-hmm. And then you see mm-hmm. Patton kind of like laid on his back and he's singing, but you see the rest of the band performing um, out of focus in the background. And then there's a bit mm-hmm. where Jim's mm-hmm. right in the forefront and you see the rest of the band through his, his um, spectacles. If you oh, like that bit, no, and that's, I don't. Just, <clears throat> it's really, really well directed. So, um, yeah. Kevin Curse, like, well done, sir. Well done. Brilliant, brilliant video. Yeah, yeah. He did, you know, come to think of it, he did miss out the um, crocodile travelling part. Yeah. yeah. You mean it was a missed opportunity on his part? No. I, I, yeah. Like he could have, he could <laughs> so have included... It could have, it could have, yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very Australian-based video. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Really is. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they could have all, all been rocking a Kubris. I've got no more to say <laughs> on the video, unless you have. It was a very, um, it was, it, it was a per, it, they couldn't have done better in terms of an already awesome song. They certainly didn't let themselves down with the video. It was very well executed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I think we were uh, at the end of Midlife Crisis. What do you think? Mate, I think that just about covers it. What is it? Two and a half hours or something, talking about one song. (laughs) Yeah. I knew I I could talk about this song for that long. I knew I could. You know, there's certain songs in Faith the Moss catalogue I know I could talk about forever. Uh, And just skimming through my notes, there's stuff I've missed out, but um, it can save for other episodes. This is why yeah. there was never going to be an Angel Dust episode. Everyone's asking for one. It's just oh, like we yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. We can't. That's why I want to do it song by song. So down the track, we'll then move to Land of Sunshine and start working our way through it. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're down with that. But that's I'm how I'd like that. to tackle it. If you're down. Yeah. There's plenty to talk about. With I mean, we might reach, uh, you know, songs like RV... Um, even some parts of the middle, middle parts of the album, it might, you know, those, if we do a full episode, it may not be as long, but there's so much to talk about with Land of Sunshine, Caffeine, um, probably yeah. uh, Small Victory. Um, yeah. Jizz Lobber. Yeah. Yep. Everything. Crack ruined. Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, what, an can, can, what an album. What an album. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So new music for this episode. I actually have some. 
And I came prepared. Yay. <laughs> what about you? Do you have some? Um, it's not new, but it's a great song. It's called um, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, and it's an uh, Australian <laughs> classic. Oh, yeah. Featuring... Um, a traditional Australian Crocodile song. Dundee dude on vocals. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle Minogue on bum shaking. Uh, <laughs> and and um, I can't think of anybody else um, that's tacky really? straight. Oh, Rolf Harris on... <laughs> have we always mentioned Rolf Harris in this, this episode? <laughs> we actually have, haven't we? God. Yes. God, yeah. what's wrong with us? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, no, I've got no music. Just... just okay, cool. A, well, I'm going to fly through it. Well, first off... First off, let's talk about Corpse Flower. Oh, yeah. You a, you a fan? So, um, Mike Patton, and is it Jean-Claude Vanier, Vanier or Vanier? Vanier. Is that how say his I name? Say, yeah, Vanier. Vanier. Not Van Damme. Um, so that album just dropped recently. Yeah. And, mate, I'm really happy with it. I've had friends, I've, I've shared it with friends, and some people are saying they're disappointed in terms of, you know, Patton's got such a, awesome voice and awesome range and he seems to be for the most part throughout the album just sort of chilling in his lower register lots of spoken lots of low singing and then any of the higher parts tend to be that more falsetto feminine kind of backing vocal that he does but there's not a lot of the belty big voice sort of stuff that at least that we hear in like something like mondo carne he's not expressing his full range of vocal it's very much you know staying within Certain boundaries. Yeah, and I, I like can, that because can not you often, dig it? Yeah, it's not often we get something like this from Patton. <laughs> you know, most of the time he he throws it all in, and it seems like he's actually um, holding back on this one. Um, and I like that. Yeah, but is that a um, good thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's you know he, he he he's he's done a different project. Do you know what I mean? If if he did the same thing on every project, yeah, that would get boring. You know, he's tried something. Completely different. We've never heard anything like this from Patton before. You know, he's he's said that he was inspired a bit by Tom Waits. He was inspired a bit by um, uh, Serge Gainsbourg. Um, and he does mention somebody else as well. Oh, Leonard Cohen. Um, but, yeah, I, I like it. it. Do you know what it reminds me of? And nobody's mentioned this, but I don't know whether it's just me being a big fan of The Doors, but it reminds me a bit of The Doors stroke Jim Morrison. It's got that kind of, like, laid-back but uh, okay. bluesy feel to it. And, I'm, you know, and yeah. obviously Jim Morrison wasn't particularly a, 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 a fantastic singer, but he was a great vocalist. And it just, I don't know, it got, it's got a feeling of that. Maybe maybe it's the whole Parisian connection that that's that's leading me in that way. Um, mm. I like it. I'm you know it's not the, my favourite thing Patton's ever done, um, but I like it. I've listened to it quite a lot. It took a while for me to to get into it. It, it was a grower definitely, but uh, I think my favourite song on the album is "A Schoolgirl's Day." I really like that one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I can't tell you that I know any of the songs by name yet. Oh, I think the last track's called "Pink and Blue." That sort of stuck out to me. Mm. Um, yeah. Now, was it Mondo Sonoro? Is that the name of the the post yep, the site yep. that had that great yep. interview with Patton, where they matched up the each song to a 
cuisine and a drink or something. Yeah. Yeah. Done by Adriano, good friend of mine. Shout yeah. out Adriano. Yeah, man. Well done. That was a that was a really good read. Um, and it was a yeah. really cool yeah. perspective. But, and I think Patton appeared yeah. to have fun with that because he doesn't enjoy his media yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. stuff. I, I, and this is... Um, if you if you jump on faithnomorefollowers.com, you can read, like, a very crude translation of it. But this is a classic example of when, particularly Patton talking about food, is when a translation uh, really loses some of the, the sentiment and the, you know, the initial passion that Patton would have put into this interview. Um, but, yeah, you know, if you speak um, Spanish, then you, you're in for a treat. Yeah, because the, the one that you posted on Faith No More Followers was a translation, obviously, yeah, to English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite crude, to be honest. Mm. Still a good, I mean, still a good, yeah. cool insight, though. It was still certainly yeah, easy, e- easy to read and get the... Uh, the get into what it was Patton was saying. No, I, I really enjoyed it, you know, apart from just sort of having that mentioned, because I'm sure there's people out there that aren't as into it, but this would be, I can't think of a release since Sol Invictus. This would be my favourite release since Faith No More released Sol Invictus of Patton's. Okay. My okay. favourite thing Patton's done. I, I can't, I, I has love, he done something I love, else? I love the Carter um, Patton release. Um, I'm saying I love it, but I can't remember the name of it. I didn't. One. I didn't give that much of a go because oh, I wasn't cult. Bacteria Cult. That be- Bacteria Cult's in my top five pattern albums of all time. I think it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely love that album. It's so oh so cool. Love it. Is there lots of um? Is there lots of singing, or is it a little bit more? No, weird? no, not too much. No, it's it's more. Yeah, yeah, it's more weird. Yeah, yeah, but I love that album. You can hear patterns. Yeah, I checked it out. I don't remember. It's not, not so much words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but overall, I really enjoyed the album. I really like the production on it. I really like the instrumentation. I enjoyed the diverse vocals. I know some of the uh, lyrics were, you know, existing. Uh, and Patton did write a few of the lyrics to a few of the songs. Is that right? Yep, yep. Is it? And, Bit and of a he mix. rewrote some of the ones that uh, Jean Claude had written. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, yeah, I really like. And for me, even though Patton's done so much stuff, I don't know what it was about this, but I just really felt like you could just hear so many elements of so many different things that Patton's done over the year. Like I felt like this was a really defining album uh, for a Mike Patton sound. You know, mm-hmm. I remember years ago I used to feel like after Faith No More, Mr. Bungle never sounded like Faith No More. Phantomus never sounded like Mr. Bungle. Tomahawk never sounded like any of them. But Tomahawk got a bit close to a little bit. It was the most Faith No More you were going to get. But then Faith No More got back together and people said elements of Sol Invictus actually sounded a little bit like Tomahawk. But for a long time we didn't get any overlaps and... This actually feels like it's got a lot of overlaps, but they're welcome overlaps. Okay. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, anyone who hasn't listened to Corpse Flower yet, uh, it, it's enjoyable. Very, um, yeah, theatrical, soundtracky, um, and really cool production. Um, I, did you like the new Tool album? Uh, not heard it, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not a, a huge Tool fan. I like some of the songs. Uh, I'm I'm not 
really as well listened to them as I suppose I'd like to be because I quite like the songs I've heard but yeah I've never really deep dived into um tool yeah see the, the i think the one of the worst things about tool is their fans and the for me they're a little bit overhyped I, I i love tool i think they're awesome but they're just another really good band and when it took them 13 years to make a new album i didn't mind um Ten Thousand days was probably their least interesting album to me so i wasn't really that excited um you know we've seen Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose take forever to release Chinese Democracy, and that was so. I was I didn't really expect much. I was I knew I wanted to hear the new Tool when it came out, and then I listened to it and I went, "Oh shit! I actually really like this. Um, it's enjoyable. It's good. It's a it's a it's a listen that you need to pay attention to. Like it's you know it's not a casual thing. I think I said that about Daughters as well. Like it's something that you actually want to give you know take." 84 minutes or whatever it is and actually give it a good give it a good go um but yeah it's great it's good listen really enjoyed it um the pixies have released that's because pixies had a breakup and they were um they were on a big hiatus for a long time as well and they had a comeback and their first album back sucked and didn't really get much um, much love but this is their third album since their hiatus it's called i think it's pronounced beneath the irie or beneath the airy um e-y-r-i-e um but it's good it's got some really cool um just lots of space and echo and reverb and i can't think of the style of music that it gives a nod to but a little bit garagey a little bit what you hear josh homie doing with the most recent queen stuff but a little bit Still a little bit dirty and cool, gnarly guitar parts, just what Pixies are known for doing, but it's actually a cool return. It's the best thing I've heard them do since they got back together. Um, that's worthwhile. Um, Sir Was um, Sir Was had a song years ago called Digging a Tunnel that I really liked. Um, I think it's a couple of years old, and he's got a new album. That's interesting, cool production. Brittany Howard, Alabama Shakes chick, she's done... Um, She's got a new album out, really cool instrumentation, good album from what I've heard of it. Only gave it one run through today, but I liked it. Um, Sam Fender, I've mentioned before, I think you made a Fender joke and it went completely over my head. Was that you or Adrian? I think it was Possibly you. Possibly Adrian. No, maybe. Hmm. Could be. I said, I, I've, I've recommended Sam Fender before and I, I feel like you said, does he play a Fender? And I said, oh, I don't know. And I just completely missed the fact that that's his name. Um, but he's got a new album out. I like it. It's very pop. Like you could do a comparison to his voice of being a little bit Jeff Buckley-ish. He doesn't have the, um, natural, uh, the imperfections and nuance that Jeff Buckley had. It's, he's a bit cleaner. Um, Sam Fender's a bit cleaner than that. Um, but just for just easy sort of listening with, um, good clean vocals i quite like it um death cab for cutie i've never really cared much for them but their new ep called the blue ep good good um space in that too like i like the production on that one um and to finish it off i i've discovered a band called big thief um they've been around a few years um don't know that i love everything they do they've got a female singer they have a bit of a 90s throwback sound to them but there's also a real sort of folky 
um, oh, I can't remember what I read that they were described as, but there's a definite folk sound to them, but they also have a real 90s. The, the guitarist does just cool, noisy stuff sometimes. Um, but they've got a new song and a, um, and a new album coming out soon. Um, I think they're releasing two albums this year, and the second album's about to come out. But the new song called Not is possibly going to be my favourite song of the year, I reckon. Big Thief. Cool not female singer and you've just got to hang in there very emotive lots of emotion in the song um but you've got to let it run because you get to like the four or five minute mark and then you just cool it's really good and it sounds like it was recorded in a room like people you know it sounds like people in a room playing music rather than overproduced shit like it's actually it's not lo-fi but it just sounds real and authentic I, I, it's yeah it was I, I think i listened to it three times in a row when i discovered it so then that's the if that's everything for new music this week <clears throat> all right let's go on to faith no more news right i'm going to start off with just apologizing to nate goya from the vinyl guide because we um talked about it at the beginning of last episode and then we forgot to mention it in uh news um but anyway he did a fantastic two-part interview with trace bruins it's on the vinyl guide go check it out it's uh really cool some really enlightening stuff about mr bungle on there um but yeah we forgot to mention it at the end of last episode um, so we've got some news from various members, ex-members of Faith No More. Um, we'll start with Mike Pattinson, as though we've just talked about Corpse Flower. And just wanted to mention the two shows he did with uh, Mondo Carne uh, on August the 31st in Prato and on September the 2nd in Milan. Uh, two great shows, Patton sporting his Snoop Dogg new style. Um but yeah, absolutely great shows. I love that he's grown his hair, but I hate the fucking the braids. They I don't like them because <laughs> I'm sure he cares what I think of his hair. Yeah, maybe when, towards the end of the set in the um, first show, he, he took his hair out and it looks pretty damn cool. Yeah, to say. yeah, it's yeah. so cool to see him with a different haircut. Do you remember being a kid and just? I think I've said this before. The real thing, and he looked like that. And then Angel Dust, he looks like that. You're talking about the petrol station attendant and the gas station attendant. And then, you know, '95, he looked the way he looked. And then album of the year. And then Mr. Bungle, 2000, he had like the longest slicked back hair. And then he just kind of kept the same look for a really long time. It's just exciting to see him look different. Yeah, yeah, he does. He looks pretty cool, doesn't he? Yeah, I have to say. It evokes the fanboy in me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and me and um, yeah. me, myself and Louis, uh, another one of the Faith and More followers team, have, have discussed it in, in a lot of detail, the new pattern look. Yeah, cool. Yep. So, yeah, I'll move on to another uh, member of Faith and More, and this is a really interesting one, uh, Roddy Bottom. Uh, did an interview with Adri- uh, Adriano again for Mondo Sonoro. And uh, this has been overlooked because Roddy made some really cool comments in this. So when they when Roddy is asked if they'll be making any new music soon, 
Uh, Roddy replied with, well, that's very relative. I'm not sure, but I know that we respect each other very much and want to continue creating together. We've talked about doing exactly that. So from where I'm sitting, yes, I would say that sooner or later there will be new music. So I know he's not giving a great deal away, but it's cool to hear that, you know, new music has been discussed by Faith No More in recent times. So let's just keep his yep. fingers crossed and let's hope that new music comes along soon. There's hope. Yeah, yeah. But Roddy also yeah. goes on to talk about Nasty Band, the Crickets, Imperial Team, and some other stuff um, to do with Faith No More. So, um, yeah, get on uh, line, check out that. It's um, uh, Roddy Bottom interview on Mondo Sonoro. Again, it's uh, in Spanish, so get your Google Translate out for that. Um, move on to Mike Borden. Mike Borden's been spotted out and about recently. Um, he was at the after show party called The Night In Between for the um, Metallica gigs with San Francisco Symphony, uh, the SNM2 concerts. Um, yeah, so this, this after show oh. party was at the chapel and Mike Bordian was in attendance and he also took part in a Q&A with Ray Burton, Cliff Burton's father. Um, so yeah, and they recalled a few memories about, about Cliff. Uh, unfortunately, I've looked and looked and looked and there's no footage anywhere of this just a few photos and a, a few people uh talking about it yeah there's there's no footage on youtube or anything so if you are out there and you mm-hmm. were at this event and you've got some footage please please upload it i'd love to see that um and if you attended and you didn't have footage if it was something that respectfully there wasn't a lot of footage and you have a story from being there please write to us yeah, please yeah yeah we'll read it yeah, we'll read your yeah. story yeah podcastcrisson at gmail.com yeah, and, and that event was in uh, benefit of the um, All Within My Hands Foundation, which is a Metallica, uh, a charity Metallica set up. So all in a good cause. Cool. Um, so it's, but it's nice to see that, that um, Puffy's out and about and, you know, doing the rounds because we, we don't hear that much from him these days. Um, so the, the final ex-member of Faith No More I want to talk about is Jim Martin. Jim Martin has been generally Ooh. quite quiet recently. Um, not the big, sick and ugly guy who played with Faith No More all those years ago. However, on Friday, November the 17th, uh, he'll be back on stage uh, performing with Infectious Grooves at Sick Bastards Social cool. Fest in Brazil. Uh, it's a festival that's curated by Mike Muir himself, um, and it's in celebration of 34 years of the Brazilian radio, radio station 89 R Radio Rock. Um, and it'll take place at Espacio das Americas in Sao Paulo, and that's uh, in November. So, yeah, Jim's back on stage with um, the original members of uh, Infectious Grooves. Um, so, yeah, be good to see Jim back. He, of course, he has played with Infectious Grooves in the past. He, he did the Metallica's Orion Music Festival in 2013 and also played at the Whiskey A Go Go, I think, in 2014. In Hollywood. So, yeah, Jimmy's back. Yay! <laughs> the final thing I wanted to, to mention is Mike Crane. So, Mike Crane, uh, the guitarist from Mike Patton's mm. band Dead Cross, um, he's been struggling recently with cancer. And um, it's it's been shared by Ipecac 
and all the Ipecac family um, that Mike's been struggling to keep up with paying the bills for his chemo and things. Um, so there is um, a GoFundMe page. Uh, is it? I think it's GoFundMe um, on or out there. You can find the link quite easily. In fact, maybe we should uh, post the link on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, we'll do that. And, and yeah, and you can yeah you can read about Mike's um, uh, struggles and donate uh, you know as little or as much as you can afford just to help Mike out. You know, I feel in cases like this, you know, you get someone who's who's given so much pleasure and you know put so much of himself into a, an album, um, you know, for, for for fans out there and something like this, I'm quite happy to you know donate ten twenty dollars you know towards because you know the guy's struggling you know yep yeah i must confess i haven't uh, contributed anything yet but i will uh, make sure that i do so and uh yeah on on that somber note that's the end of faith no more news for this episode all right ma'am folks please uh please forgive any disjointed components to that episode there was some real pain in the ass skype stuff going on so we forged ahead and uh, tried to piece it together the best we could so if it sounds a little bit disjointed throughout the episode that's uh that's what was going on there and we haven't discussed what episode we're going to do next what uh what topic we'll do next episode no i don't think we've um no there's another skype dropout i don't think we've come we've come to a solid conclusion on that yet so we'll just have to uh, finish editing this one, get it up online, and then uh, we might just put it out to everyone with what we decide. And um, I did want to actually uh, reach out and just say to people, uh, first off, I'm really bad with the social networking component. If you do want to reach us, um, please please get on the email because it's the easiest one, podcastcroissant at gmail.com. Um, I usually check it right before we're about to record the next episode. So if it takes three, four, sometimes even up to six weeks to hear anything, that's why, because I'm not logged into it all the time. Um, but we do get it, and I do try and respond to everybody once uh, once something comes in. Um, but if you have ideas for future episodes, if there's anything in particular that you'd like to hear us talk about, if there's things we can do to improve the podcast, please write to us. Please let us know. If there are things that annoy you and you have problems, um, just go somewhere else. <laughs> no, we want to know as well. I'm happy to. I'm happy to hear. If you don't like something, tell me. Write write an email. Dear Mike and Jim, you guys do the shittest accents and can't pronounce names right. And Lion Sleeps Tonight is not of Australian origin. However. Jim's voice sounds so much better now he's got a new microphone. <laughs> have you got a new microphone? I certainly have. It looks like a chalk ice. Oh. And smells You've been of, listening to Podcast of... Croissant. This is Mike. Ah, what? Yeah. Ah, hey. And this is Jim. And you're perfect. Yes, it's true. But without us, you're only you.
silly. And of course, the live version was the um, quote-unquote scream mix, um, which obviously drops that first, um, what would you call it, the first... um, It's a middle life. That bit. Yeah. Well, I I call it the interlude, but... Yeah, interlude, yeah. It drops that. And uh, you did ask me... Um, if what do you I mean it drops it? Inf- the scream mix. Uh-huh. What do you mean it drops it? Yeah, it drops that bit, doesn't it? The the in the first interlude in the live version. I don't know what you I don't know what you mean by it drops it. Like a it, like I'm going to drop cut. this fat it's beat. Cut. Like I'm going it's to cut. include it. No, it's cut. So it's been cut. cut. Yeah, see, cut from drops. The it's song. well. I mean, it's a it's a multi meaning word across the music industry. Like we're going to drop this right. mad new album. We're going <laughs> to drop right. this fat All beat. Right, chill out, man. I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna drop this interlude. Yeah. So all right, I'm gonna yeah. drop the mic. Boom. <laughs> See. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Still yeah, the screen mix. Mm. The screen mix. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? Hang on. So it goes straight from the the sample to the. I I don't know the screen mix. It goes straight from the sample to the last chorus. No, or something? no, no, no. It drops. It's. It, you, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Let me just. See, I've just banged my microphone uh, now, and it's just made a horrible little noise. So yeah, so you know this, Mike. You know what you know what I'm talking about. So you've got bleeding enough for two, and it's a middle life crisis. Well, no, because the sample it drops though, so that. It drops the sample. No, no, it doesn't. It- the sample's later on in the song. Oh, no, you mean after the first chorus? Yes. After the first this chorus, is, he goes, yes, it's a middle life. That's, 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 that's sung yeah, a different yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, well, oh. you know what I meant. Yeah, cool. Fucking Good. Hell. Let's, let's yeah. cut the shit out of that We got there part. in the end. Should we just cut all yep. that out? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm going to drop it.